Rundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, on matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. We cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com I can be defined in a single word. I will put him in a...
Soviet Brotherhood From Telling everybody that everything was beautiful every day. If I went into my church and didn't say everything was beautiful, they'd think I was sick. And I, and I'm not that way. I mean, I'm a, I, I, I sincerely believe in this old world that everything is beautiful. I mean, if I see, if I wake up in the morning and see these plants out here and they, and all those flowers that are in there and the green grass on the, on the ground, that's beautiful. And people don't realize what they have. They bitch about it. And then nowadays, I am so upset that the things we did and the things we fought for and the boys that died for it, it's all gone down the drain. Our country's gone to hell in a handbasket. We haven't got the country we had when I was raised. Not at all. Nobody will have the fun I had. Nobody will have the opportunity I had. It's just not the same. That's not what I boys. That's not what they died for. I just... It's just... Just not it. I'm so sorry. I'll be all right. Just takes me time to get over it. Because I just, I, I, why, why me? See, sitting here like this, see, all this going on. 
it just, Emily, it's just, just not, it's just not the same. <laughs> that isn't what we fought for. Oh well, I should be worried about it. I guess I'm a hundred years old. They say. This is the rundown. Your Friday night addiction. All four of us are here. Fab Four are here. There is a world leader shot dead yesterday. There is another world leader who just pulled out of a major deal that we called. We were the only ones to tell you that that was going to happen, and it did. Georgia Guidestones, lightning, bomb, something. And, uh, well, top story tonight, Gisling Maxwell was sentenced to prison. If you don't know who Maxwell was, you've been living under a rock. She's been trafficking in human beings uh, for the last 20 or 30 years. One of her victims speaks out, and I'd like to give her her 45 seconds on the rundown here. I have uh, spent the last 17 years in my own prison for what she, Jeffrey, and all the co-conspirators did to me. I was raped repeatedly. I was raped three times a day sometimes, and I was not the only girl on that island. There was a constant stream of girls being raped over and over and over again. And yes, Ghislaine must die in prison because I've been in hell and back for the last 17 years. And 27 for me. I was 10 years old when Liz Stein was being trafficked. I was 10. That is how long the sex trafficking ring has been going on for. Okay, the largest and most well-funded sex trafficking ring, Ryan, in the world, in world history, uh, has been uncovered. And the woman who was at the center of that has been sentenced to jail. That's good. That's a good news story, I think. The bad news is, is that we don't know who to whom she was trafficking these human beings. We don't know a single person. We've seen flight logs with presidents and prime ministers on it. We haven't actually seen a single other person indicted. And you're not going to, because it's... it's uh... The, the, the fact that there's even as much exposure as there has been in the media to the Maxwell uh, trial is itself surprising. And the only thing I can think of is that they're allowing a certain amount so they can try to get buried under the rug very quickly. But I mean, it's like so many other things. Um, you know, Bill Clinton was <clears throat> way back, uh, you know, smuggling drugs through uh, an Arkansas uh, airport and uh, covering you know, some kids happen to observe some things that they shouldn't have observed dead just dead no investigation no you know nothing's nothing to see here and then you know years later you find out yeah it's basically true but you just don't want to talk about that um you know and so many things going back all, all kinds of ridiculous things so here you have clearly there are people who benefited from everything maxwell was doing and uh epstein by the way that uh, you know, who's who didn't kill himself, and you're not allowed to know because that's, of course, all the people who currently run this world, all the people who are the elites, or at the very least, are the front puppets that they still want in power, right? Because uh, you know, you better believe if they didn't want these guys there, um, you know, they would they would clearly bury them, and this is all they would need for it. We may never know the list, uh, Brother Martin. We may never have justice. We may never understand who all her clients were. That's because I think for the reasons that Ryan has already enumerated, that it is the global elite in Hollywood, uh, in news media, and in government 
the trifecta, as it were. Um, but at least for some of the people who have been systematically abused, uh, like that woman, she can have some sense of peace and closure knowing that her uh, tormentor is going to rot in jail and most likely commit a fake suicide. One of them, yes. And, and sadly, um, as Ryan was saying, the, the people that raped her three times a day, they may not even be put in jail. Um, but I think as I was saying last time, I think, I mean, the elites... I mean, the, the world has been so overly sexualized. Like, I never thought growing up that the, the, the biggest crises in our day, the things that we'd be talking about as adults, um, would have to be dealing with, with groomers, with uh, drag queen shows for families, with all of these na- nasty but sexualized things. The world has been so overly overcome with lust, with, with sexualization, that it seems kind of crazy that the, that the elites would use sex as the monetary blackmail like you have to have something on somebody else uh, in order or some, somebody else has to have something on you in order f- to allow you to rise up the ladder if people don't have things on you you can't rise up because that's how they control you and it works in secular society it works in the church that's how i mean mccarrick um was able to promote all these people everybody that mccarrick is promoting they're all comp- we all know they're compromised um, yep. besides because they were affiliated with him but it's, it seems so weird that 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 that's had to be that one thing because in one sense the world doesn't really care except for the the fact that uh, rape is not consensual, you know it doesn't matter if you you know are over sexualized but you just need consent because I guess that's the the libertarian uh, uh, liberalism is is, is uh, freedom by consent or truth by consent. Um, that, that's that's yeah. it is know. and 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 that, that brings up a good point, James. How can a political libertarian uh, you know really? Uh, oppose human trafficking because not all humans who are trafficked are minors and the age of consent being at 18 is pretty random number could be 17 could be 16 so how as a libertarian can you possibly uh, oppose any of this grave evil it's really trying to you know uh complicate what the truth is right you know because the truth is if something is not good for you then it can't have any rights and that's the very first thing we try to uh, ignore when we talk about uh, freedoms, you know? So we're so used to having freedoms here. Uh, people will go on record saying, I don't agree with uh, things as uh, as uh, uh, pornography or other sexual sins of that nature. Um, but, uh, well, you know, this is part of what it means at least to stand on that platform of uh, libertarianism. You know, it's it's not necessarily saying you don't agree with it and that's okay. But, you know, people say, well, we are living in a pluralistic society and so we can't always get what we want and we go with the best of what we want. But uh, things like that, you know, saying things like that leads to the problem, very problems we're experiencing today with our children being targeted by people who shouldn't have uh, the rights to do what they're doing especially in Texas, you go into a Texas drag show. I mean, think about how, uh, how much, how far we've uh, fallen. We were thinking these problems were just uh, in California alone, um, maybe relatively short time, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Kids are going to uh, public, uh, you know, how do I say this? You know, uh, weddings and courtrooms or whatever you want to call them, uh, weddings and quotation marks. And they were, they were being forced to, to view, to watch uh, mm-hmm. these things taking place. And we thought, oh, this would never happen in Texas. But, you know, when you talk about the principle of uh, libertarianism, you know, you're talking about allowing for something like this to happen. You know, not necessarily 
uh, uh, you know, being in favor of it, but you know that position alone holds you over the fire uh, because you know the chickens are coming home to roost. This is exactly uh, how we would predict, you know, or we have predicted some things like this would happen if we just held to this position and not challenge the status quo. We have to have a morality clause, right? You know, uh, we're not living uh, on this earth with arbitrary laws. You know, the laws that we are living. Uh, that, that we, we have in society where we're first of all laws uh, concerning nature, you know, given to us by our nature, who we are in relation to God. And so we can't just sweep, sweep that under the rug and uh, hope that things come to pass. You know, that eventually people will realize, but people cannot eventually realize this because guess what? You know, we're plummeting deeper and deeper into the cesspool. Yeah, we are. Okay, lightning round, but quick confession. I have no idea what these stupid Georgia stones are. I've never heard of them until now, but now they're gone. Ryan, can you give us a quick update? There's a slow motion video of them exploding. It looks like lightning. Could be a bomb. I don't know. Watch the video. 20 seconds. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee. Talking to the man from Galilee, he spoke to me with a voice so sweet. Okay, great. What are these stones, Ryan? Why do we care? The uh, Georgia Guidestones were set up, um, actually, I don't remember exactly when they were set up, and they started attracting attention. They were set up in a style similar to Stonehenge, and they have written on them all the things that the elite basically uh, believe, that the crazy eugenics-obsessed elite believe. Yeah. One of which being reducing the world's population to 500 million. Uh, now, if you have a, a planet whose population is oh, 7 billion, right, and you want to reduce the population to 500 million, that the only way to get there is mass genocide. I mean, that that's simply the, the only way you can get there in any appreciable amount of time is mass genocide, uh, w- without a doubt. And then there's other things that really play into the elite uh, business. So actually... What I would do here is uh, have people, I'll show the link um, in a second as soon as I get this to share and pop up. Uh, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I've always got to highlight his work. Um, So he did an interview with a fellow, with a journalist who had actually discovered who set them up and uh, at least elucidated a little bit of the, the purposes for why they, they might have set it up. And what it really proclaims, the Georgia Guidestones proclaim this Malthusian uh, insanity. You know, the Malthus, mm-hmm. if anyone's so familiar with Malthus, uh, 18th century Anglican clergyman who basically determined that, uh, you know, you, we all have all these mouths to feed, you know, and um, you know, because the Industrial Revolution, everyone's been dispossessed. And what the thing we really need to do is kill them all. Get rid of them. The world's overpopulated. And he, he gave him these scientists, pseudo-scientific models for showing why the world was overpopulated. Every last thing he said has been proven false again and again and again for hundreds of years. But he was incredibly influential to Darwin. He was incredibly incredibly influential to Galton, who was the founder of eugenics, by the way. And the whole eugenics establishment that forcibly sterilized people in this country, for example, as well as around the world, heavily influenced by Malthus, Darwin, and Galt all all around. So the Georgia Guidestones are essentially the incarnation of that, uh, those ideas, which were discredited after World War II because the Nazi regime so uh, heavily appealed to eugenics. 
And so then in, in, nobody wanted to hear about it. So as uh, Julian Huxley said at the UN, we need crypto eugenics. We need to bring the eugenics in and not tell the people what, what it is. So they'll all get into it. So this article, this interview from Corbett Report, um, so you'll see it's here, interview 10179. And if you don't want to do that, you can simply come over here and type in Georgia Guidestones and they will show up for you. So um, anyway, that's, uh, you know, so if you want that full backstory on those and what they, they mean, mm. uh, I'd recommend to do that. Okay. So James, within uh, a day or two of the destruction of the Guidestones, we had one world leader sacked and another one killed. Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom has stepped down as prime minister. Overwhelming uh, pressure has built upon him. Prime Minister Abe of uh, Japan was shot dead. Here's the footage of him. I chose this one in particular because you don't actually see him getting shot, and it's not a snuff film. I think a lot of people are showing the actual footage, which I think is despicable. But here you can see a homemade weapon and a lot of smoke. Okay, that's all we're going to see. Prime Minister Abe's dead. Rest in peace. Pray for his soul. Prime Minister Abe was a nationalist uh, and a populist. He was very close to Donald Trump. Uh, he wanted Japan to renegotiate some of its post-World War II peace treaties. He wanted uh, to Japan to have a standing military and to contend with some of its rivals in the far east. He wanted to, uh, he believed in national sovereignty and um, he was really against uh, the globalists, or at least appeared to be, James. Now he is dead within a day of the Georgia Guidestones coming undone, within on the same day that Boris Johnson steps down. Coincidence? You know, nothing is really a coincidence these days. Uh, a lot of these things, especially in the uh, political uh, realm, happen for a, a reason. We, we, we might not know right away what the reason is, but of course it sets a chain of events uh, in motion. And so right now, a lot of things are moving very quickly. Uh, the former prime minister was uh, certainly one of the, I guess, the, the longest serving uh, uh, prime minister out of Japan. And uh, his uh, his platform was one of nationalism, as you just uh, read there. And uh, there, there's a problem with having any country, you know, a country having any leader that shows, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a pushback, wanting to be uh, having some sort of autonomy, right? You know, and so you can't have that within the framework of what the world is expecting. You know, this moving or this movement toward a one world government. And so a figure like this basically threatens that platform, especially, it, you know, it's an Asian uh, country that is not necessarily on good terms with China, ostensibly, you know. So we're we're kind of thinking about all that and how it's going to play out in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, this is certainly not a good sign uh, for the, any smaller country that wants to have that sort of a, autonomy. And uh, mm -hmm. this could hold uh, ramifications for uh, just the, the general uh, uh, movement towards what uh, Prime Minister Abe was uh, going for. But, you know, we'll we'll see. TBD. Brother Martin, we are going to talk tonight a lot about uh, what's happening around the world. We're going to take our viewers into the Netherlands. We're going to show uprisings in Spain and Italy and Poland and other places. 
it seems like people are pushing back hard against the new world order. The death of Prime Minister Abe looks to me like it's tying up loose ends. They couldn't have him around because he's healthy and could run again and could be, uh, as somebody in the live chat said, a loose cannon for the new world order. How do you see the death of uh, Prime Minister Abe from Japan? It seems as if it was somewhat of a safe bet. I mean, to to assassinate, um, for instance, the Republican in the, in the United States um, would have been a, a little bit more detrimental, I think, on, on the world stage than to um, assassinate someone in Japan, um, strictly speaking, because I think Europeans are more focused on, on American politics in, in general uh, than, Jap- than Japan. However, especially in China and Russia, uh, we know that, I mean, China has its sights on Taiwan, um, very much wants to get the uh, U.S. military presence out out of the South Sea, out of out of out of Asia, um, but especially as you were explaining from um, from where you were uh, about the prime minister, um, that if if Japan was a nationalist country and and Trump runs again and or Republican runs again and renegotiates some of these treaties, it, it spells even more disaster for China and even even for Russia since uh, they're they're very close allies. Um, so I don't know, to be honest, I don't know which world order this, this, this would have come from, to be honest. I don't know if it's from the WEF world, uh, one world order, or if it's the, the one with whom they're competing, which is the, the Russian Chinese world, uh, new world order, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that we see, you know, teaming up. So, um, that's, I guess, uh, to be determined as well. It'll there's be interesting. Thing, uh, there's no, another we lost- thing you said on Japan though, too, which is that, uh, cause Abby wanted to you know, to negotiate different things. But Japan really does already have a very large standing military and one of the very efficient one. And it's just not called a military. It's called a defense force. But it basically functions like a military um, in every other way. So, you know, it's one of those things where they they play within a certain field. There's other things you want to negotiate to on the stage. But one of the things he was always at loggerheads with was with Xi Jinping in China. And that was one of the the, the problems where the the Chinese definitely did not like him. And I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know exactly what happened, but I would I would wager that the Chinese might have had something to do with that. Or at the very least, they directly benefit from Abi's death. Yep. Cui bono. It would be. You know who. Okay, we lost another world leader to, uh, today, yesterday. Um, Boris Johnson has stepped down as prime minister. He's the, I think, the th- the 30th or 31st prime minister to serve underneath uh, Queen Elizabeth, something like that. She's had quite a bit, quite a number. Um, Boris Johnson was one of the people who took the United Kingdom out. Uh, I mean, he was the Brexit guy, remember? And he was similar to Trump insofar as he had really weird hair but what i think is most memorable about him and permit me to give him his two minutes of of due credit here is the fact that how many united states politicians can sit on a lounge chair and from memory in ancient greek recite the iliad and when things are really tough and when they are and when when they are if they are if they ever find themselves stranded in the bush Say in, in Arnhem Land, or in Kakadu, with a, with a crocodile at the at the at the foot of the of the um, the mangrove, and, and and they are and they are and they are up the mangrove, and the, the crocodile is at the foot, and there is absolutely nothing for it but to hang on, and all they all they can do 
is think of all the things that they can remember. Do you need me to shut up? I'm going to shut up in a minute. All they, all they can do is keep themselves uh, conscious by reciting all the poetry that they know. They will not do better than to preserve, to pickle, uh, to conserve in their brains forever uh, the greatest uh, classics that have ever been written, such as the Iliad. And that is what I do. When I'm in trouble, I recite to myself, Main in Aedithea, Peleia, Joe, Achilles. <laughs> Apollonos. <laughs> It goes on for five minutes. You get the point. Ryan, the best we got is is Billy Boy Jefferson Clinton playing a saxophone, playing the blues. Come on, man. Right? Well, the, the classical tradition of English oratory and of the, just classical training in general is that you had to learn the classics. You had to engage the classics. And someone like Johnson, as much as uh, he really is a pathetic globalist, and, and he sold everything, and I'm going to do Brexit. Soon as the uh, unspecified virus of unspecified origin came in, uh, he was completely a globalist. And every it was it, worse than if Brexit hadn't happened, frankly. But at least I, I can appreciate you know the, the hearkening back to... You know, so at least back when you educated people and you trained them and you would you had to memorize things like the Iliad or, or whatever, you know, the Aeneid for long spans of time to be able to recite them at length uh, for a great deal of time. And that's a that's a talent that a lot of people don't have anymore. Even things like uh, speaking without notes. Um, this is something if you've ever heard me speak uh, in, uh, in places I've, I've spoken in Dallas, uh, Charlotte. Denver, uh, a few other places. I go on without notes. I do have a PowerPoint, so I kind of have my little crutch to, to keep me on task. But uh, I, because I, I memorize the talk and I memorize all the points, usually around that PowerPoint thing. And that's that's the ancient system you had, where um, you know, Cicero learns this from the from the Greek uh, um, Milan, where where he is teaching him that the oratory is like you know memorizing your points in a great house your prayer ratio that is your your opening remarks and whatnot they're, they're on a you know this urn on the wall or this particular portion of the wall and then you get to the focal point of the house you know the hearth and you know where where the romans would keep the household guts and that's where your main point is and then you would descend from there to to your concluding remarks and and, and be done you'd memorize around these different points of the room and so dennis the cartusian hugh saint victor they passed down the, the same system which they learned and they pass it down to St. Thomas as not directly, but through, you know, the passing down this tradition through the, the notion of a cathedral. Right. And so you imagine your first point being at this side altar and then so many other points and buttressing points and your chief points at the high altar. It's the same classical tradition. And, and part of being able to do that is also memorizing the great works 
uh, of classical antiquity. So um, Johnson was a miserable politician, but at least, you know, you had that, that, you know, it's far better than Tony Blair or labor. Um, good grief. So uh, I, I don't get me started on labor in British politics, but anyway. Oh, you're muted. Someone noted that he is a baptized Catholic and we pray for his reversion because it doesn't appear to be the fact that he is practicing. But Brother Martin, I have to admire the fact that uh, the fruits of a Catholic, of a classical education uh, that uh, that Boris Johnson was the beneficiary of and a classical education is exactly what is constantly under under attack in these United States and elsewhere. And uh, frankly, he may be one of the last politicians that we will see who can credibly memorize, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a classical work in its native language and uh, and understand it and recite it. Absolutely. And, and the reason why we don't see that today, especially, well, there's two reasons. One um, is because this is the foundation for philosophy. The liberal arts are foundation for philosophy, for right thinking, because every all education right, rightly uh, done gives us the principles, gives us the foundation to then study things like logic and metaphysics. I mean, going from music to math, uh, to poetry, to, to, to the arts, um, all of that is, is foundational um, in being able to study philosophy. So without all of that, it's very hard to just open up a logic book or open up a metaphysics book and, and to just read. Um, so a lot of people, especially in, in seminary, even have to have to struggle with, with that at the very beginning, be, precisely because they, were, they weren't prepared in their education. American education is very practical. It's not very uh, speculative. It's, it's practical. Um, and so education is worthless unless it teaches you how to, do, how to do a service, how to do something, how to make something, to sell it, to make money, to make profit, all that kind of stuff. And so that's what our education here is, is very much geared towards. And so especially, I mean, when, when, when Plato and Aristotle were talking about the philosopher king, that was, that was precisely it, that there had to be people trained from their youth to be able to study philosophy in their adulthood, to, to know how to govern. You can't just pick and choose just random people from society who have not been prepared um, with philosophy, um, with, with ethics and, and political philosophy and all that other kind of stuff to then just throw them in, in, in to govern and throw them into to the, the chamber of uh, Congress and all that kind of stuff and just make laws randomly, just willy nilly by what they feel is, feel is good. And, but that's what we have in our American society is people just, you know, former bartenders from New York, just going, I think this, I think that and it doesn't work. Um, but, but it, you're right. Sadly, it is it's probably one of the, the few politicians that we will have left. But also, I mean, when I was in Italy, I, I saw that also in, in, in well, in Italy, they still in, in, in school, they study Latin and Greek. So that's, that's helpful. And they do at least read this this stuff in, in, in high school. Um, but Americans, you don't even know the, the, the title Iliad um, from public school. I went to a public school um, in when I went to a Jesuit high school for two years. I mean, Greek and Latin, it was only one year. First semester was Latin. The second semester was Greek. And it was only for those who very much excelled in another foreign language. So it was very exclusive. Um, it was re reserved to a very exclusive few um, in the school. So it wasn't something that was thought good for everyone. It was just something that was, that was for the few. Um, so yeah, it, it's James bad for us. For most Americans that are stranded on a desert Island who are going to recite whatever poetry that they know in order to stay sane, I shudder to imagine the crappy pop song lyrics or the rap lyrics that, that, uh, that has, been committed to their memories because practically that's all that they can say. That's true. A lot of uh, people say have, uh, you know, not taken up any sort of poetry or, uh, you know, even any, uh, uh, having any education, 
pertaining to the arts. Everything is like Ryan said, you know, uh, or was was it brother who said every, everything is geared toward uh, learning something that is practical that you can use in the real world, except it doesn't help you with thinking. I know a lot of people today that I went to school with actually, who cannot understand why or, you know, why the government is, is behaving the way it is today or why we have to have a different think thought from what the government is basically throwing at us through the media. They're incapable of having very basic uh, thinking skills. And they are the ones who are able to, to, to get uh, some sort of uh, order from the government and act on it. You know, go get jabbed. Yes, I'm going to do this because the government, why wouldn't the government have my best interest, uh, uh, interest at, at heart? They're the ones lockstepping. They're the PhDs. They're the, uh, you know, the scientists working in all these labs. You know, uh, they hold, uh, you know, maybe two or three degrees, but yet they can't think for themselves. And of course, you get into a car with them. The first thing they put on is uh, Cardi B or whoever these new artists are. Um, and you kind of wonder, I, this is absolutely serious. It's very true. Uh, you kind of wonder what's gone on with the world, you know? So they, 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 they're the ones who they get, um, they get something handed down to them from the, uh, American medical association and they go, well, I don't see a problem with it. They don't ask questions anymore because they're, they're unable to think for themselves. They have to be thought for, and their prime uh, reason for being where they are is because someone tells them what to do and then they do it. Not because they have any altruistic, uh, you know, uh, uh, a desire, so to speak, to, to to do the good. But how do you know what good is if you haven't been thought how to properly think about things that are happening around you in the world that we live? Bizarre. Brian, what's breaking the real reason Bojo resigned? This is breaking news on the rundown. We are breaking it to you. This is why Boris resigned. Larry the Cat said he had to go. Does any, anyone know the story of Larry the Cat? <laughs> no. He's no. also called the, the number 10 cat, the cat at number 10, because he was brought in by Cameron uh, a long time ago. I think it was even in the late time. 90s to, to deal with the mouse infestation. And he has survived all the prime ministers since then. 2010, you said? No, uh, late 90s. Late 90s. Oh, my goodness. Late 90s. This is an old cat. I I almost imagine they've replaced it a couple of times, but haven't told anyone. But uh, he was brought in as a mouser. And, uh, you know, early 2000s or something like that, uh, or late 90s. And so the the legend grows in the telling. And so he apparently has said, Boris has to go. Cats are taking over. I can't deal with it. I don't know what to do. Um, all right. I got I got I got a I got a breaking piece of news for you, ladies and gentlemen. And it involves this world leader who everyone thinks was going to save them. I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. Well, as yours truly predicted correctly, I streamed this show, Must Bluff, why he won't buy Twitter on May 16th. That's six weeks ago. I told you there's no way that Elon Musk is going to actually go through with his proposed purchase of Twitter, that this was just a bluff, a ruse, enable him to raise cash, sell down his position in Tesla right before the market tanked. That's exactly what he did. And today, ladies and gentlemen, on Friday, the 8th of July, he has announced that he is pulling out of the Twitter deal. Now, 
The Twitter board of directors, James, has announced that they're going to try to seek legal action to compel him to perform and buy the company. This can happen if you actually make an offer and uh, it is accepted and you sign a binding uh, purchase agreement. But he has plenty of outs. One of his outs is that he believes Twitter has lied to him, materially misrepresented the types of users, the number of bots, and the quality of their earnings. So it looks like he has a pretty good case and a reason for walking from the deal. But are you at all surprised that he walked from the deal, James? I'm not surprised at all. I mean, from the very beginning, it seemed that uh, he likes being a center of attention, which for him is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and the, the way he's gone around uh, on, on Twitter, actually, sort of uh, coalescing, uh, uh, you know, people coalescing around him and, and trying to make uh, him into this figure that he's not, you know, the, 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 you know, the great, uh, uh, figure that's, that's gonna relief, uh, it's going to bring relief, uh, to the sufferings of, of, uh, people in the Twitterverse, you know, which of course could translate into other things in the future. So people readily sort of ate this up, you know, and I, I was, uh, begging caution from the very beginning. Hey, you know, uh, this guy is a businessman and I'm sure, uh, this, this deal is not lined up especially the way he he wants it to and he's throwing his hand in the ring because inevitably he knows this is something he can walk away from and that's kind of that's exactly what we're seeing uh right now so i'm not surprised in the least i'm not surprised either brother martin the fact that the twitter board of directors though is saying that uh the chairman just tweeted tonight uh just a, a few moments before we started the show that he's going to seek a legal remedy to force elon musk to buy twitter how much confidence does that give you in the in the profitability or the viability of the Twitter business model as it stands now? That's tr- well, that's true because now uh, it's kind of saying that there's nobody else to buy it, and so they have to force this guy to buy it. Um, uh, but I know the real reason why Elon Musk uh, pulled out because he was he was having his doubts, his concerns, all that kind of stuff. And you know, as as someone who wants wants is searching for the truth, whatever. He decides to go nowhere else but to fly to Rome to visit the Holy Father for some spiritual direction on the matter. Oh my god! <laughs> so um, he saw those pictures last week too. Of him meeting, <laughs> meeting the Pope Francis, you know, Cardinal Zen can't get a meeting with the Pope, but here's Elon Musk. <laughs> um, maybe yeah. maybe Frank told him not to buy Twitter. It could be, but you think you think Frank would tell him to buy Twitter so that he can shut down Taylor Marshall, he could sh- shut down all of us. Um, but I guess maybe maybe he saw us going after the cities this week and Pope Francis said, ah, let him be, let him be. I think that's what <laughs> happened. We we attacked the cities and then Frank was like, all right, you don't need to buy Twitter anymore. And he pulled out. <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> this thing is a fiasco. Oh. Talk to us about the, the, the savior of free speech is walking away from Twitter. Now we're never going to have free speech. Oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> we're going to have free speech. Oh, my goodness. Uh, as if we ever had it at any time he was on there. Yes, they did change some things and some things definitely you know shook up when he announced the bid. And then, of course, people were like, oh, wow, look, what the most interesting phenomena that I saw was so many people, uh, whenever any Twitter gave them any restriction whatsoever, uh, saying, oh, Elon, please save me, calling upon him like a a patron saint or or God or, or something else. And people were literally, even Catholics, you know, saying, Elon, help. What? Because Twitter is restricting your ability to say whatever um you know how but you know this is one of the reasons why i didn't think this deal was ever going to go through although i didn't have the i don't have your financial background so i didn't see it the way you did 
But as I just say it's such a major vehicle for the left and for the establishment in order to put pressure on people, to cancel people, put pressure on companies. I, I just had a hard time seeing uh, the idea that they're really going to open it up. And so more and more. I was wondering if he was going to put Caitlyn Jenner on the board of directors or not, because, you know, <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner plus Donald Trump, they're going to save America It's because we're crypto Catholic. Apparently so. Crypto Catholic <laughs> nation. <laughs> All right, Jenner for president, twenty twenty four. We've talked at length about a couple world leaders. There's one world leader that uh, whose whose commentary we really need to expound upon, and it's his historical commentary that I think is really important um, because you know it hasn't aged very well. If you have a piece of crack cocaine, no bigger than this quarter that I'm holding in my hand. One quarter of one dollar. We passed a law through the leadership of Senator Thurman and myself and others, a law that says if you're caught with that, you go to jail for five years. You get no probation. You get nothing other than five years in jail. Judge doesn't have a choice. Under our forfeiture statutes, you can, the government can, Take everything you own, everything from your car to your house, your bank account, not merely what they confiscate in turn. All right. All right. I, I, I have two questions about this video. Number one, why does Hunter Biden constantly record himself smoking a crack pipe? And number two, is he using one of the government issued crack pipes or did he actually pay for that thing? I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay no seriously though biden was in the news recently because well we're going to send more money to ukraine the united states is leading the way we provided ukraine with nearly seven billion dollars in security assistance since i took office the next few days we intend to announce more than 800 million more including new advanced western air defense systems for ukraine more artillery and ammunition counter battery radars Additional ammunition for the HIMARS multiple launch rocket system we've already given Ukraine. Uh, none of that money, none of that money that they're printing has anything to do with inflation. But you know whose problem it is? It's not his problem. It's not Biden's problem. We got a long way to go because of inflation, because of the, I call it the Putin tax increase. Putin because of gasoline and all that grain he's keeping from being able to get to the market. Okay, it's the Putin. Uh, it's the Putin tax, Ryan. It, it's it's all Putin's fault that uh, gas is expensive, and he's he's keeping grain from getting to the market, and that's why your toilet paper costs more. Oh, of course, uh, everything. No, it, I th I've said it before. Uh, we haven't even begun to feel the effects of what's going on in Ukraine. We will in the fall. My predictions in the fall, we're going to start feeling that one a good bit. Uh, certainly inflation is not being helped by constantly sending our money over there, uh, which, of course, where is it going when it goes over there? It's going to the Azov movement, which is a neo-Nazi movement. And they're like, well, well, we promise it's not going to them, um, except that they have a, a, a non-military wing in the government. And uh, you can't 
send money to Ukraine without it going to Azov, which connects back to intelligence in this country. Things like the Patriot Front, the Rise Above movement, all of these things are connected to the Azov movement in Ukraine. But they're worried about fascists who think that a woman is uh, a biological female. That's fascism now. Whereas the real fascism is totally okay as long as it's fighting Putin. So the all these insanities. Meanwhile, uh, you know, we have a number of crises that are going on right now. Europe is having an energy crisis. And I have not seen any mainstream outlet talking about it in, in uh, so many places. I mean, we have, we have, uh, we're going to talk about the Netherlands later, but uh, with other things, but the, the UK is having a big milk shortage. Uh, their energy, natural gas, all these things are, are running short that they're not convinced that they will actually have heat this winter in Europe. That, that's what they're looking at right now. And of course, in this country, it's like as, uh, you know, Putin is saying, you know, oh, gas companies tear down those prices, right? Uh, or something like that. Meanwhile, Biden is revoking permits for drilling everywhere he can, or at least his administration is, because I don't think Biden's doing much of anything except reading a teleprompter. But that's what we're feeling right now is the, is the COVID tax. We're feeling the the... the pain of shutting down our government, the Trump-Biden plan to, uh, to, to deal with the unspecified virus of unspecified origin. That's what we're still suffering with. And then just wait, when we deal with all the grain that's not coming, the the agricultural products not coming out of the Netherlands, which we'll talk about later, all these things around the world and the things that Putin is, do, you know, I guess... Partly responsible for, partly not, depending on, you know, what, because the thing about Ukraine too is we don't even know what's going on in Ukraine, uh, except that lots of money is being s sent over there and lots of Ukrainians are coming out of Ukraine with a lot of money. But uh, in meanwhile, they're even almost admitting that Putin's basically winning. So it's like, what was all this money for anyway? Zelensky gets on the, um, to give these addresses to university graduates and things like that. It's like, this is a joke. This whole thing is a joke. The guy would be assassinated in two seconds. He's an actor. And he's sitting there meeting with Sean Penn. This is his big plan to beat Putin, I guess, is sitting down and meeting with Sean Penn. So, yeah, the whole thing stinks to high heaven. The whole thing is a disaster. And I, I, I think apart from the fact that the Ukrainian people are suffering, the Ukrainian yeah. Catholic Church is suffering, outside of that, everything that we're being told about Ukraine is fake. Well, the good news, uh, James, and uh, hopefully you can help verify this, but the press secretary is telling us that we have the strongest economy in the world. This is the most accurate de depiction of, uh, of, of fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden's press secretary that I've seen to date. And when we look at where we are economically, and we are in a strong, uh, we are stronger economically than we have been uh, in history. Stronger economically than we have been in history, James. Stronger economically than history. That that was indeed a very accurate representation of the press secretary. Um, and I'm not sure where, where she's getting her news from, but uh, people are suffering uh, right, right now, and they are lamenting the inflation that they're seeing at the grocery store. These are regular Americans walking into the grocery store, and walking back out in confusion, they go to the gas station. And they're leaving the gas station in confusion and frustration. And uh, the, you know, the gall of uh, that press secretary is alarming to say all this. We've been talking about all this for months now. So all of a sudden today, she's telling us the economy is doing better when she said in previous previous uh, 
you know, uh, uh, meetings that, uh, yeah, you know, the gas prices are a problem and putting this to blame. So are we saying we don't have gas problems anymore? I mean, th- this is th- this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's insane. What's even more insane, though, Brother Martin, is your commander in chief, uh, your chief executive of these United States talking about a woman's right to, quote, abort a child. I mean, so the idea that we're going to make a judgment that is going to say that no one can make the judgment to choose to abort a child. He calls it a child. That's true. Well, because he, he knows. <laughs> Everybody knows. And and relating the two things between what the word the word choice that he used and, and the press secretary is that when you pe- repeat a lie long enough, and they know this, this is a strategy. When you repeat a lie long enough to the masses, it becomes true. It becomes true. So they just uh, repeat a certain line long enough, people start to believe it, and then they just take, take it as true. So um, for them, they, they believe, they feel that they repeated the, the lie long enough that abortion is okay, it's, an, it's a right or whatever. Um, even though it's illegal now, it's a right. Um, talk about natural later and, and appealing to a higher law other than the the um, the state law, the the federal laws, all that kind of stuff. A higher law than than human positive law. Um, but that's 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 always our game plan is to lie and to repeat things constantly, using the press, using the media to to, to feed us all these lies uh, to get people either to believe them or to be so overwhelmed that they're believed that you just stop fighting. Yeah, and I think that's that's always that's our danger, our danger. Is, is to is to see everybody retweeting this, constantly saying this, all of our family members saying these same lines that they're hearing from the media, and just saying, "Well, why fight?" It's it's obviously it's 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 overwhelming. Last week, yeah. uh, Joe Biden called on gas station owners to reduce their prices. He called on uh, he called on energy companies to increase their production. This week, he's called on pollsters to raise his sinking poll numbers. All right, Nicole Kidman wants you to eat the bugs. I'm Nicole Kidman, and I am going to eat a four-course meal of bugs. I am here to reveal my hidden talent, eating micro-livestock, cornworms. They're still alive. Mmm. Extraordinary. Mmm. Very moist, chewy. I can't quite describe the flavor, but I need a little water. <laughs> Let's try the second course, shall we? Just a little side note. Two billion people in the world eat bugs, and I'm one of them. Because here we go. Have some meworms. I'm telling you, I'd win Survivor. That is a um, fruity taste. I'd recommend it. Here we have. Oh, oh, crickets. Oh, nothing. Oh, oh, awesome. Like nothing you've ever tasted. Like a hairy nut. <laughs> Don't. Oh my gosh. And not from the shell. And now for dessert. Mmm. The fried grasshopper. These are amazing. These are exquisite grasshoppers. I recommend. Okay, so 
Why do they have to get like fading B level Hollywood talent, like C list actors to try to push the bugs thing? Like, can't they actually get someone that we care about, Ryan? I don't know. Maybe they couldn't. Uh, I would expect, though, that this is just the beginning and there is going to be a lot more celebrity role, just as we saw with the um, unspecified virus of unspecified origins. We're trying really hard not to get us banned again. Um, but uh, even with that, what happened? Uh, right off the bat, they have Gal Gadot singing Imagine, and they all you know, go off, and Madonna is in this rose-petal bath telling us, oh, we're all in this together, as she sends her slaves down to Starbucks to get her something while she lives in her, you know, her marble bathtub or whatever. Uh, you know, all these celebrities just sitting there, you know, and, and they're scoffing basically at the masses. And but for some reason, the elites think, oh, yeah, the, the, this was, you know, and that that ticked off a lot of people and pushed a lot of people who otherwise might not have been paying to. Hey, wait a minute. Why are they rolling out the celebrities to get us to go with this messaging? So it's the same thing with the living in the pod and eating the bugs mm-hmm. and you know, owning nothing is they're going to trot out the celebrities doing that, even though the celebrities, of course, own quite a bit uh, because they're there to be the you know, whatever, you know, messaging that they want to push. So, I mean, it's going to move from, from, from there to, you know, higher up as they get more people on board with it. It's just a question of how many people will go. Cause the other problem is you have, um, I'm not going to go in a huge pop culture rant here, but Tom Cruise, yes, he's a cultist and yes, Top Gun two is, is a military recruitment movie. It was also a very good movie because Cruise is probably one of the very last, movie stars a guy can go in any movie and he's going to draw an audience because he's in it anyone remember back in the 90s schwarzenegger and um you know van damme when he was actually in you know when he was you know hip al kilmer all these guys that were way before them people Sidney poitier james earl jones alec baldwin these were movie stars any movie they showed up in you would go to watch it back in the 90s and in the early 2000s now Movies are basically a production. People are standing on green screens, looking around, saying, uh, what am I doing here? I mean, it, you saw this in, in other things early on when CGI is coming in, but now it's it's all a cookie cutter setup. The actors, they're, they're just there. Uh, th- there's nobody that has that draw anymore. Not even Russell Crowe or Chris Hemsworth. The whole Marvel project is dead. It's all just intersectionalist feminism at this point. Um and so that's why, you know, with the, so now, oh, let's get Nicole Kidman because maybe you remember her from X movie and they're, they're going to try out other people. They're going to try to make big or important for whatever reason, because there are no more movie stars. And that's the thing is that in, in making your culture worthless in making uh, any attempt to tell stories down to just telling the same feminist nonsense again in every movie, they've neutered, you know, their celebrities. So they're almost victims of their own success there. I just want to see like an A-list actor, James, eating the bugs because I think part of what Ryan is saying is true. A lot of the actors are not very good at acting. So I want to see a great actor sell me on eating the bugs and I want to see if it's convincing. Well, if you think you're going to have a problem with that, you haven't you haven't seen the future yet. In the future, <laughs> you get to eat other human beings. <laughs> and you know you're not going to need a whole lot of convincing to do that because that's exactly uh you know what's already been been uh, uh laid out um what was that movie again with uh charlton heston uh, uh soil and green right so we're moving now into the soil and green phase mm. um but just before that you have to eat bugs 
And after bugs, you're going to learn to eat other humans, right? Because if you want meat, you know, and sustenance, that's that's exactly what they're they're planning on doing. It's that's disgusting. Why, why are you even saying that? That's disgusting. You know, uh, don't knock it until you try it, I suppose. That's what they want you to think. You know, <laughs> if, if you can go that way with bugs, you'll, you'll do anything. If you can eat bugs, you'll you'll eat anything, right? You know, that's like that's very uh, that's very low threshold there, it seems. But uh, you know, that's that's kind of what I I think they're doing. I don't know. I'm just just All pure right. speculation it's, on my part. It is well, it's it's good speculation. Now I I'm gonna play you a, a video from uh, what's her name, Catherine Austin Fitz, something like that. But before I do that, I just want to I received this message from a dear friend, a close friend who thinks that he can keep pace with uh with bojo and he wants all of you to know that there are actually americans who can do things like this tanto gentile e tanto oneste pare la donna mia quandella altria saluta che ogni lingua deve andre mando muta all right fine great i get it so gentle and so dignified appears my lady when she greets others that every trembling tum tongue becomes dumb now, to uh, the economic disaster that is facing the world, the planet, is it planned? Are what we're seeing, what we're about to see in, uh, in the Netherlands, the Dutch farmers rising up, the Germans, the Italians, the Spaniards, and the Polish, um, is this a reaction to the master plan? Bankers of the G7 nations went into the room in Jackson Hole in August 2019, and they voted on the going direct reset. Everything that's happening to us right now is part of the going direct reset, and they voted on it. It was a plan. Okay, so they wrote a plan. They decided to do this. So they've been they've been engaged in the financial coup for 20 years. We're now coming into the end game. They have to consolidate the financial coup, and they vote on the going direct reset. And with that one decision. They made a decision over the next year to put 500 million people out of work. That's the equivalent of dropping several nuclear bombs around the world. That's financial warfare. And they made it intentionally, they made it knowingly, and it was a plan. And what is very important to understand when you think about this pandemic is people are not dying from magic viruses. People are dying from tyranny. What exactly is this about and what do you think that it means? Well, very simple, Tucker. What this is about is the Dutch government stealing our farmers' land. And they're doing this under the guise of a made-up nitrogen crisis. And that is basically going to put most of these farmers completely out of business. And thankfully, the Dutch farmers aren't having it. So they're going out on the streets. They're blocking distribution centers. They've blocked the high roads. They are fighting back. And they're right to do so. These, this is their life's work. They're really at their wit's end. They're devastated by what the government is doing. And, well, it's very clear that the government is not doing this because of a nitrogen crisis. They're doing this because they want these farmers' land and they want it to house new immigrants. They also want it because the farmers are obviously standing in their way of the great reset plans that they have for us. So, yeah, farmers are hardworking, God-fearing, and especially self-sufficient people that are just standing in the way of their globalist agenda. And it's driving a lot of these farmers even to something like suicide. So, really, there's only one term that we can use for 
the things that our government under Premier Mark Rutte is doing right now, and that is communism. So messing with a food supply tends to cause food crises and then famines. You're seeing this in the developing world, thanks to climate activism in the war in Ukraine. Are normal Dutch citizens who aren't farmers worried about what happens when you shut the farms down? Absolutely. They understand it. No farmers, no food. And that's why the farmers have blocked these distribution centers, because within a matter of a couple of hours, we saw that the supermarkets were empty. And ordinary citizens understand this. The problem is that the state doesn't seem to understand this, or it's what they want. And the police have responded in an incredibly violent way. So as you guys have seen now, they have even shot at a 16-year-old boy. These are not things that you should see in free Western countries, especially no. not targeted towards peaceful protesters, but it's happening. And not just the Dutch people, everyone around the world, and especially you in America, should be supporting our Dutch farmers because, well, this could be happening to you. It's actually the very reason why I'm wearing this, this handkerchief right now. It's become the symbol of these farmers' resistance, and they're doing it so courageously, and they have to manpower to do it so they really deserve your full support we should okay this is happening in the netherlands as uh that spokesperson for the movement has said we have several videos out of europe this is becoming a disaster ryan um and and farmers are pushing back here's here's one uh this was a dumping milk video i thought was interesting Dumping the milk, we're shutting down the streets. And we're flinging manure on government buildings. And when the Dutch Fed police try to infiltrate your movement, we kick them the heck out. I think it's sustainable. I'm totally on board with the um, the the dung on government buildings. I think that that should be copied the world over uh, with gusto. But um, anyway, right? The line from the 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 Aeneid, um, which is uh, see, I can do that too. The we we you know one day it will help to recall these things, remember these things, especially that. The Netherlands are one of the most liberal countries in Europe, period, and and progressive in so many ways. And I really did not expect to see what we're seeing there. And the fact that you have agent provocateurs that are trying to infiltrate it, that you have the police reacting violently to shut it down, and and actually, you know, shot at a guy, you know, it just it, it got the bullet got lodged in the door of his tractor. It, it, but if it hadn't, it would have killed him. Would have gone straight. Into, into his chest cavity so 
you know, they, they are reacting violently, which tells me this is more of an authentic protest rather than something that they're planning. Although I could be wrong. They could be manipulating it, too, just like you saw with the truckers. And that just progresses on the CBDC angle that they're pushing in Canada. So likewise, who knows, you know, if there isn't a manipulation in it. But it doesn't seem that way to me. And I could again, yeah, I could be wrong about it. But the the results that are going to be horrific. And now think about what an empty supermarket means. Most of us have not or have very rarely seen that um, except, you know, certain select things like if you were, you know, during Hurricane Katrina, if you were in the affected areas, you saw that. But most Americans have not seen this where you go in and there's nothing there. And what is there is very expensive or what have you. Um, you know, imagine you go into the store and there's nothing there. And, and no end in sight either, because guess what? You know, these guys are going to continue. I mean, look at this right here that, that, that I'm pointing to. Imagine you go in the store and this is what you're looking at. Are you prepared? Do you have six months? I mean, that's a lot of food. Do you have six months worth of food? Do you have nine months or a year worth of food? Um, every American should have the bare minimum of three months and really more like six months of food that can be eaten, whether you got it canned, whether you can it yourself, whether you've got, you know, something to be preserved, because if you don't and you go to the store and you're looking at this, that, that, that is not a pretty sight. You really don't want to be doing that. And that's unfortunately, you know, the plight for a lot of people in the, the Netherlands right now. But mm -hmm. if the farmers weren't doing what they're doing, that's also what they would see in the stores, unless it was Bill Gates's lab grown meat, you know, or something of that, that sort. James, we're seeing it across Europe now. It's spreading uh, from the Netherlands. It's a, the, the the Dutch uprising has spread to here are German farmers. Italian farmers. Dovreste venire tutti con noi perché mancherà il pane sulla tavola in queste condizioni. Non ce la facciamo più. Spanish farmers. Polish farmers. Are we seeing a real, authentic, grassroots, global pushback against the globalists? By, by uh, all that we know, this seems to be very genuine. Um, and you can kind of see it. I've seen a few of these videos. You can kind of see it in the uh, crowd that it gathers in, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, in, in the way that they understand uh, what they need to do because they are seeing... Uh, for themselves, how, or rather, how the world wants to rule them. And uh, they, they know that this rule uh, comes at the loss of great security, uh, and uh, they're, they're not for it. Um, it. It's unlike something I've seen before. We've seen, obviously, in the summers, we, we have a little bit um, of something like this here and there, but uh, the way this is appearing, it's becoming increasingly uh, a movement that various countries are jumping in on uh, and are not afraid of uh, repercussions, at least right now. Um, but, you know, we hope that this movement grows even, even more and uh, is uh, something harder to shut down uh, than the uh, Canadian trucker movement. Mm -hmm. 
What about you, Brother Martin? Do you think that the globalists have overplayed their hand? Do you think this is an authentic reaction to the COVIDist agenda um, and and turned into the green environmentalist Malthusian agenda? Yes, uh, and it is an important distinction is because, I mean, Ryan and I, I think I've mentioned it years before when, when Rundown first started, when we were seeing a lot of riots in, in Europe, you know, with firecrackers, all that kind of stuff. We are like, this is typical Italy. This is typical Europe. Europeans typically take to the streets and, and cause demonstra- demonstrations. I mean, when I was living in Europe, it was like a sciopero, a strike for the for the public transportation almost every other week. I mean, it's something that they do on a regular basis, these strikes. But this one's a little bit different in the, in the sense that it's not just um, people not showing up to work to see, you know, as, as a strike. It's people actually taking their their tractors out into the streets actually cause civil disturbance to actually stop food from going to the grocery stores that is causing people to wake up so that's a, that's an extra level that's an extra step that really um hasn't been done before and and those that are in the netherlands as ryan was saying that is a very progressive society progressives are progressives precisely for convenience sake precisely because they want to live their lives with as much convenience as much personal pleasure as they possibly can they don't want anybody to get in the way and tell them what to how to live their lives, do what they do, live morally, whatever. They just want everybody out of their lives and they just want to do what they want to do. Well, the new world order, this, this new agenda is precisely about killing everybody, making everybody starve to death, injecting who knows what in, into their bodies and making them su- suffer what kind of heart attacks or whatever else. It's the exact opposite of why progressive is a progressive. And so I think that's exactly why they're, they're, they're going to actually have a lot of progressives red pill and say, this, this is one step too far. I think there was a one. There was a young girl who um, made a TikTok video, or it was posted on Twitter, that was trying to explain to people why the why the reversal of Roe v. Wade happened. It was, I think, it was completely wrong, but she was right about something. Is that uh, the movement, the abortion movement, went too far whenever it started talking about um, aborting babies right before birth, like t- two seconds before they were born, you're still able to to, to dismember a baby. And and that and for her that was like that's it. I mean, there there you have to call it a baby. It's it's irrational not to call it a baby. Um, but I think that's exactly what's what what we're seeing going on in Europe is that I think the, even the progressives are waking up to realize that the new world order the the is not a progressive one, and so it's neither a conservative one, nor a progressive one. And so what is it? You know who the left should blame for the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Not the Supreme Court. Not Christians, not conservatives, not Republicans, not pro-lifers. The only ones they should be blaming are themselves. It is 100% their fault Roe got overturned. A lot of people, myself included at one point in time, could sympathize with the scared teenager, with the drug addict who had no business bringing a baby into this world. We could understand that we didn't like it, we didn't agree with it, but we could at least understand it. We went from safe, legal, and rare to up to the moment of birth. We gave you an inch and you took a mile. We drew the line when you decided that you should be able to murder a fully formed infant up to the moment it exits your body. You have no one to blame but yourselves. Okay, on the back side of the break, we're going to talk more domestic stuff. Uh, We're going to bring you back into these United States for this commercial break, we are actually going to announce to you that James the Lesser is running for Congress, and this is his 30-second spot. Democrats like to say that no one needs an AR-15 for self-defense. That no one could possibly need all 30 rounds. 
But when this rifle is the only thing standing between your family and a dozen angry Democrats in clan hoods, you just might need that semi-automatic in all 30 rounds. Coming people, we knew it when Donald Trump appointed three Republican Supreme Court justices who said they would uphold Roe v. Wade and lied under oath just so they could get confirmation and then overturn it once they came into power. We knew this day was coming. So what are we going to do now? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to say, no, it's over. We're going back to the dark ages. No, no, stop it. We're going to show up to the ballot box in massive numbers, and we are going to make sure women's reproductive rights return to where they belong, in the hands of women, not in the hands of six Republican Supreme Court justices. Are you with me, people? Are you with me, and are you with the Democrats? If you are, you better show up to vote blue this November because everything's on the line. Senator Warren also taking aim at pregnancy crisis centers. Here in Massachusetts, these so-called uh, crisis pregnancy centers outnumber genuine abortion clinics by three to one. She says women walk into the centers believing they'll get abortions. Instead, they try to talk women out of it. She calls it a bait and switch. They are giving it over to people who wish them harm. And that has to stop. We need to put a stop to that in Massachusetts right now. Okay, uh, the reaction, the fallout over Roe v. Wade continues. Ryan, uh, Democrats are upset. They're using it as their platform. It's given them something to run on because clearly they're running away from the most unpopular president in modern history. They can't run on the economy and they certainly can't run on our foreign policy and so now they're saying, well, you know, the Republicans are they're 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 moving towards your birth control or your same sex marriage. Uh, that's why you have to vote for us. If, if only they were. It's um, no Republican is going to vote to to ban contraception. Uh, maybe, maybe in Florida or maybe even there, I doubt it. Seriously. Rick Santorum was the last one with the cojones to really address that issue head on. I mean, even if um, God willing, they, they overturn something like Griswold versus Connecticut in the future, uh, there, there's still, nobody's going to touch that because the backlash it, again, they, because they already know their internal polling has showed them they'll, that they'll be pushing too far. So that that's not even going to happen, but it's great for the left to campaign on because you're right it really is all they have because they can't campaign on biden they know their internal polling numbers show that harris is far worse than biden in the polls she is not likable even amongst their radical base she is not likable at all um you know they really don't have anything else except me you know now to do the same thing that the republicans did for what 50 60 years uh, you know, motivate their base on, oh, baby yep. killing, <clears throat> right? We got to stop the baby kid. Now it's, we got to get the baby killing back. You got to vote for us to keep your 
reproductive rights, your right to murder your baby. How satanic is it, though, uh, of Elizabeth Warren to say that this is these people at these pregnancy crisis centers, you know, they they want to do you harm. That's what they want to do to you. Conservatives are pro-birth. Conservatives don't have to care at all about the the mother or the baby afterwards. They just want to make sure there's more babies born. And it's like, but now they care too much about about women. It's like, um, first of all, that the whole the rhetoric is right. I mean, a crisis pregnancy center is what it is. They they they. I mean, if a woman comes in, you know, it's like, what do you need? What can we help you with? That they advertise on helping and assisting women. They do not advertise like we'll help you with your abortion and then come in. Ah, tricked you. No, we're not. What, what kind of thinking is that? That is not what happens in a crisis pregnancy center. And anybody who's volunteered in one, been to one, you know, can can attest to that. A crisis pregnancy center is a place where women volunteer, men volunteer in order to in and they solicit donations. They solicit, uh, you know, everything from blankets, to formula to to pay, funds to pay your rent. And, you know, things of this sort in order to help women who are in that that really terrible situation where their boyfriend left because it wouldn't abort the baby or, you know, what have you. Yeah, the previous sin wasn't good. The, the fornication wasn't good. But at least let's not make it worse by murdering the baby. That's what the crisis pregnancy center seeks to do. And, oh, no, they're taking too good a care of women. They're not murdering those babies. That's basically the objection against a crisis pregnancy center is they won't murder the baby. Um, wow. Uh, I ran for a while. <laughs> you know, you know, but you took my you took my thought away because how despicable is it that they're so upset about not murdering children? Okay, uh, is there anything more American in these United States, James, than booing this congressman Congresswoman Omar off the stage? Language warning. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, please, no, no, please. Okay. I guess a little graphic. It goes on for another couple minutes. Uh, she doesn't end up getting to speak, and she's booed off the stage. I I feel like that's America. 
<laughs> at its present moment, at its finest possible version of itself in its present moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, here's here's the situation, right? Because she's a fellow African. I like to point that out. Uh, and what Africans like is uh, they like tip your your typical uh, family that's been rejected by most of America today, right? They they like to have that uh, man and woman child relationship and they understand uh the natural order uh to include the birthing of children you know and so what the roe versus wade uh you know event uh, a couple weeks ago has forced uh uh other democrats to to sort of do is to get back on that campaign trail actually now arguing for this thing in real time and when you are sitting in front of other Africans, they already know that now you are definitely against, you know, all the things that they thought you were for because you didn't have to talk about it per se, right? You had it, all you, you could do a few years ago was just talk about corruption of the Republicans, how racist they were, you know, talking to your your base about racism. Of course, that's going to get them excited, but now you have to actually go out there and talk about, you know, abortion. When they know, wait a second, you know, I'm a Muslim. Well, they they that's what they say. I'm a Muslim. How how can you be allowing all this to, to happen? And you are a you know democratically elected leader and from the Democrat Party. What's going on? So that's what I'm guessing is happening. We're seeing some sort of fallout from the Democrats pushing so hard about abortion that it's now affecting their Muslim base, if you can believe that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this is exactly uh, the fallout from this. Whether or not she's going to survive, it's probably uh, unlikely that the Somalis are going to be voting for her. You know, wow. Instead, she's going to get a lot of support from her white liberal base. Unbelievable. What a, what a turn of events. Okay, let's go down to Florida. Brother, you have ties to Florida. You were recently there with some skizzies. Florida, in case you didn't know it, Florida is the new Rome. no coincidences there are no coincidences and florida now has an anti-commie holiday which i actually appreciate thank you ron this tower uh, represents a, a symbol of freedom it stands as a symbol against uh, communist oppression from 1959 to 1974 more than 650,000 cubans came to the united states to uh, to flee the oppressive communist regime of fidel castro uh today uh, I am signing HB 395, which will officially designate November 7th as Victims of Communism Day to honor the more than 100 million people who have fallen victim to communist regimes across the world. 
All right, that's cool. I love it. We have tons of rundown viewers in Florida. In fact, if I, I would wager that if we were going to do a rundown conference, we should do it somewhere in Florida. What's your message to Floridians, Brother Martin? I mean, I loved Florida when I was there. Definitely uh, would love to go back, and I love going back visiting. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting. Europeans love America, and Americans love Florida. Especially right now with with, with uh, Desanti, with Desantis. I mean, everything he everything he's signing. I mean, we just want that to be a national holiday, not just a Floridian holiday. Everything he's preserving, every every uh, every time he signs a bill that's against uh, critical race theory in public schools. Yeah, we need that for America. Every time he's you know signing a, a bill for an anti communism day, uh, so we can remember all the victims of communism. Uh, yeah, we we want it for America. So yeah, Florida Florida's great. Um, of course, I'm Florida's not here great. saying you I'm, know what. Florida to me, and I don't know, like, I don't know if, uh, if Ryan and, and James, you're both very well traveled. I'm sure you spent quite a bit of time down there. Florida is such an enigma to me because it's a place where you go and it really doesn't still doesn't know what it wants to be. You know, you, depending on where you go in Florida, you got you got your you know, you got your meth addict white trash. You know, you got your you got your Spanish speakers all over the place. You got tons of ghetto. Um but then you've got the New York yeah, accent. Criminals, you know, to selling Cuban cigars. Yeah, no, love Cubans, <laughs> love Cuban cigars, love love all that. But the New York accent, New Jersey accent, is it throws so everything off, and it's jarring yeah. too because you're like, because especially yeah. if you're on the Florida Georgia line, you might hear right. a Southern accent, and then you hear a New Jersey accent at the same time, and you're like, I I don't know where I, I am. can't deal exactly. <laughs> yeah, not to talk about the alligators and the. Burmese pythons and uh, you know any other sort of oddity out there, uh, reptile version of oddity out there that uh, yeah I can't. It's like can't a, it's like that. a melting pot within a melting pot. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with it, but I like I it. Haven't been in a long time, so I appreciate it. I think it's a little humid. <laughs> I think it's a little hot. Just a little, a little bit. You know where else it's humid, humid, super humid, and super hot, and maybe that's why these men are all effeminate. The Philippines is super humid, super hot. Okay, I don't know if you heard that last part, Ryan. This is the synod way this is the synod on synodality these are the men from whatever diocese this is in the philippines that showed up to participate in the grand frankster listening tour i would run in the opposite direction i i do not understand how any man with any sense of of their manhood period could possibly sit through a thing like that without digging their nails deep into that table and let alone taking part <laughs> in it. Um, what are you gay? Yeah, I will be gone. <laughs> it's it, it does not make sense to me how it is. Although then again, the Philippines have had a few seminaries shut down for rampant homosexuality. So I, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe there's something about modern ecclesial life that just attracts that sort of person. I wonder what it could be. I wish I knew the answer to that question, but that's your synod on synodality. Now, I'm I'm going to play you about five videos in a row because there have been a lot of developments and breaking news on a particular experimental serum that we're not allowed to talk about on this platform because free speech doesn't exist. 
But I think you're going to be very interested to hear that the EU, for example, is now warning not to take back-to-back serums. EU regulators are warning that frequent COVID-19 booster shots could adversely affect the immune system and may not be feasible. The European Medicines Agency says repeat doses every four months could eventually weaken people's immune systems. They want more time between booster programs tied to the onset of cold weather. Israel. And have you seen any other vaccine that was put out for the public that skipped the animal test? Never before, especially for children. And and as what I've read, they actually started the animal test, and because the animals were dying, they stopped the test. Folks, I think that's important to understand there, that, that what we're talking about is the American people are now the guinea pigs. This is the test program that's going on. You're an expert. You were on the task force. You were part of this this effort when you were in the previous administration. And you're saying in this administration that you can't rule out the fact that our government was lying to us when they told us the vaccinated could not get the virus. I don't know about their discussions that they had in the task force. So I can't tell you that. I can tell you as a family member who had individuals that were susceptible, of course we got everybody vaccinated. But we still use layered protection during surges because I knew potentially the vaccine immunity would wane like natural immunity waned. And there was evidence that every four months, reinfection was occurring in South Africa. Wow. When the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't transmit it, was that a lie or was that a guess? Or is it the same answer? I think it was hope that the vaccine would work in that way. And that's why I think scientists and public health leaders always have to be at the so, table so being it, very clear what we know and what we this, don't this know. Is in, this is important for the country to know. So when I asked the question, when the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't get it, and I asked you if it was a guess or a lie, you said you don't know. You said you think it was hope. So what we do know is it wasn't the truth. So they were either guessing, lying, or hoping and communicating that information to the, to the, to the citizens of this country. I think they were hoping, but you should know in those original phase three trials that were done in this country, that we only measured for symptomatic disease. So we weren't proactively testing everybody in those trials to see if they got infected with mild or asymptomatic disease. And so people had to present within the clinical trial. I, I'm just, so I, we I, never had the data that it yeah. was going to protect against asymptomatic infection. I'm just struck with the irony. We got, we got government agencies guessing, hoping, or lying uh, with with the information they're presenting to the American people. And this is the same, this is the same administration that wants to set up the the disinformation governance board and wants to talk about... I wonder what the mainstream media are trying to tell us, or rather, cover up. I'm sorry. On that Daylight last savings video, causes heart attacks. I, I, I once I got a YouTube uh, strike one time for playing a video like that one time, but I overcame the strike because I was like, "Hey, I'm just showing news headlines." 
and even YouTube was like, ah, okay, we'll take the strike away. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, good luck. Um, the let's just let's just let's go lightning round around the horn, Ryan. We know that the COVID regime has not gone away completely, but it is for the most part out of people's lives right now, except in, in, in very particular cases like people who are trying to get jobs or change jobs or work for the federal government or, or, or whatever. But for the most part, it's out of people's lives. That's, that's the way it seems. It was never really in my life. This whole area is like a little bubble where nobody really paid much attention to it except for a handful of people down in Coeur d'Alene. But uh, ultimately, I still see video in places where people are still wearing the Fauci diapers. I still see things like that. But in general, it seems like most people have moved on and most people are over. It. And there's a lot of people who switch sides on the question of the uh, experimental um, Fauci ouchie because they they feel duped because they they remember being told you just have to get this and life will go back to normal and that's all you need to do and then they came in well actually you're gonna need a booster actually you're gonna need another booster and uh, then people said hey if this is what's going on um it's like gonna be like boosters forever oh that's a conspiracy theory oh don't listen to him now the canadian government is admitting among others, that you're going to have to have boosters every six months forever. Just forever. Because uh, obviously it, it doesn't work. That's oh, it, I, think, you know. I, I think we had a video last week, and I don't know if we ever got to it or a week before that, but it was the Canadian government announcing that there is no such thing as fully vaccinated because you will have boosters for life. It's boosters, Brother Martin, as a lifestyle. The lifestyle now. No. <laughs> brother martin knows how the lightning round works <laughs> james has this affected your life at all uh and or or people that you're close to um i'm sorry you're gonna have to phrase that question again <laughs> has the has the covid regime affected your life recently oh, right. or those that you're close to yeah, of course. You know, um, I, I, I work with uh, a, f a group of gentlemen who, uh, of course, are related to uh, or, or rather are in the military. Uh, and I hear stories that they tell of having been forced uh, to either resign or to uh, take the, the jab reluctantly. Uh, and it's been a frustrating uh, last several years for people who are trying to basically reason with uh, their employers. And so, you know, now the fact that, you know, people are sort of getting on with uh, business and not really uh, worried so much about, you know, uh, what's coming next, you know, is sort of frustrating to those who, uh, I guess, you know, had their lives upended and maybe, uh, acquiesced to the demands of their employer or just simply changed course without putting up a fight. So, yeah, it, you know, um, it, it's affected people I know. And, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, frustrations from the last two years, certainly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. I have an explanation for you folks, and I'd like to share it with you. This 15-second uh, clip of a protest happening at Latin Mass... Actually, it's not a Latin mass. I don't quick. think it's just a mass. 
Now, if you'll notice, people are just sitting there allowing it to happen, pretending like it's not happening, keeping their head in the sand. I have uh, I have conclusively now uh, can demonstrate to you why the men in that parish are allowing it to happen. Men aren't what they used to be. 1986, the female hand pressure per handshake was 98 pounds per square inch. 2016, it's 108. Men, 1986, 114. Men today, 96. Not that I need that validation that we're turning more to snowflakes. Men aren't the guys from the 14 and 1500s that sailed the ocean blue to find various parts of the the world. There is a crisis of masculinity, Ryan. Lots of people talk about it. Uh, Some people even make speeches about it. Some people who are actually just uh, reform sodomites run around the country and make speeches about what authentic masculinity is. But it's a, it is a real problem, and lots of people are trying to solve it. It's a problem at every level, secular as well as religious. And it's it comes down to parents. It comes down to fathers. It comes down to, uh, for example, we, we looked at videos during uh, Pride Month, as it were. Yep. Of, uh, you know, parents taking their kids to bars, libraries, public events where they had drag queen story hour. Okay. And so, wait, why are parents taking their children? Wait, 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 stop. Not just why are they taking them to the drag queens, right? Why are they taking them to dances and allowing them to watch media that promotes the exact same thing just amongst people who are uh, more. you know, more straight. And then I'm going to worry about how we're going to not get banned here. People, you know, who are normal, they let their kids see all kinds of aberrant sex acts in film. In you know, they go to school. And what are they learning in school? I mean, twerking in school is has been a thing for a while, right? Because the, the whole system is geared toward lowering that age of consent. And parents have stood by. And men have stood by and let it happen because they're not men because they want to play games or, or watch TV. Just, I just want to be left alone and settle down and, and have no responsibility for, you know, doing these hard things that are going to embarrass me and cause me to lose friends and cause me to have to fight. And that it all, and that's just a the continuation of a gradual process from, you know, the sixties when the greatest generation decided to deny nothing to the next generation and they became entitled. And that sense of entitlement and sense of I should be able to have a comfortable life comes down to everyone. It came down to me. Right? It took me years to retrain my brain in, in all of these matters. And so, in, and if you're that kind of person, you're not alone. But that's where we are. You have to overcome the desire to be comfortable in order to really be a man. Yep. And your point about uh, the systematic abuse of children and the deliberate exposing them to things... Uh, this point in the show where we have to show you a little bit of that, unfortunately, because this is not just happening uh, in schools without parents' knowledge. This is happening at the direct um, uh, supervision of parents. Here's... Uh, man. Here's a dad in Texas who's so upset about the Texas legislature that he's going to own the liberals... 
by abusing his own son. Texas legislator proposes ban on minors watching drag shows. State Rep. Brian Slatton said a ban was necessary to protect children from perverted adults. Also me. Brother Martin, more than 20, uh, something between 20 and 25% now of the young generation identifies as one of the alphabet people, uh, or at least confused, and if not fully outright uh, psychotic. This is a marked growth uh, year over year, generation over generation. It continues to grow. We've talked about it a little bit on the rundown, but for that young man, for that toddler there who's being abused by his father to own the conservatives, right, to own the Republicans, um, what, like, what chance does he have for having a normal life? Very little. I mean, and, and how quickly did it turn? I mean, I was born in 91, and I grew up where gay was still an insult. Like we, we, we fought with our friends and all the kind of stuff and, and, and use it as an insult. And it, it was, it was shaming enough that people, you know, went back into shape um, and that kind of stuff. You did not want your friends to call you, you know, gay or you're, you're gay for doing this, gay for doing that. You know, it was, it was that, but now it's, it's, it's it, the, the, the generation now, generation Z and then the next generation after that, whatever that is, whatever this kid is um, it's a mark of well, pride. It's, it's, it's what they're supposed to be. It's supposed, it's going to be what they're supposed to accept. Uh, I don't even remember what that was like for my generation of, of an ideology that we were supposed to accept to be cool. Um, but it, it seems like we, we just, we just had what we didn't want to be gay, but now it's, it's completely flip-flopped. It's that's the idea you're supposed to accept um, this, this kid. I mean, poor kid. Yeah. He's, he's not going to grow up with a normal life. He's, he's probably going to be one of those kids uh, to where his parents convinced them to have um, hormone treatment, all that kind of stuff, puberty blockers that are James Martin supported uh and that that will cause his his bones to to be to grow weird and and, and bad and to where when when he's an adult he's going to have uh skeleton problems and all that kind of stuff um as you read a lot of these testimonies of these of these trans people that are that are are trying to turn back and, and are telling people about the the medical health issues of all this stuff and what they have to suffer for the rest of their life sterility everything else he's probably going to be one of those kids yeah um i mean poor i mean poor kid it, 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 we can't really do anything to save them in a sense, um, which is, which is the, the heartbreaking part because we can't go and rescue that kid at the same time. What we can do is fight against the culture and, 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 and that's about it. Um, it's a, it's a, well, it's a long game that we have to play. Homeschool children, lest we forget homeschool children need socialization. They need interaction with their peers, right? James, here's what I'm going to show you is a video of children who are being taught to dance for money by transgenders uh, and that they are being actually taught moral lessons by those transgenders on how they ought to be able to keep the dollars that they earn. 
That's her dollar. That's her dollar. She's earned it. Muted. Yeah, this is very um, indicative of where we are as a culture. If we don't even realize anymore that our kids are being radicalized in front of us. And in, in some cases, a good number of cases, parents are the ones leading uh, this venture. And absolutely, this is stupendous. It causes one to want to be speechless. But uh, for fear of those who do not have, you know, uh, any understanding of what's, what's happening, you know, we have to speak out and keep reminding people that this is a PSYOP into basically taking the children that we love and hold dear away from us. Uh, and this is a sort of, uh, you know, uh, sacrifice, so to speak, to uh, to those who want to do harm and perpetuate this harm uh, in, you know, in the lives of your children. And so owning somebody, going out in public and owning somebody because you don't like, you know, what they say or how they present their views uh, you're basically robbing your child of uh, the reality of living uh, a good and decent life. You know, putting your child in harm's way by putting your child in front of groomers who are now teaching your child, who are now using, uh, your child is now taking the, the, the uh, imagery from what they experience and trying to directly apply it into their, their lives, you know? Are we surprised that this is happening? We saw a couple of years ago, that Netflix, uh, there was a Netflix movie about uh, prepubescent girls uh, dancing or something like that. And uh, conservatives were rightly, you know, outraged by it. But uh, the rest of the world just said, hey, you know, this is a movie. It's about art. Why are you upset? Well, now here's the art becoming a reality because this is exactly what our kids are doing in the summer of 2022. And somehow it's racist if you speak out against this kind of... Uh, demonic activity yeah no it, it it is now um here is a final groomer video well actually second to final groomer video raising gender neutral baby brother martin this is the natural consequence of uh of the prevailing modernist philosophy today bodily autonomy is a person's right to make decisions over their own bodies and futures Statistically, children are better off when they are allowed to take the lead in exploring and expressing their gender identity, and that is exactly what we are going to allow our child to do. We will not begin puberty blockers on our child until they ask us to do so because we don't want to instill the idea that they should be ashamed, unhappy, or uncomfortable with their body. But if they are, they will always be allowed to start the process of gender-affirming medical care. We get asked very often, how do we dress our gender-neutral baby? As adults, that is how we predominantly identify the gender of one another, but the answer is really quite simple. So there's a lot of misinformation about how we dress Monty, most of which says that we don't allow them to wear pink or blue. Some parents who raise their kids gender-neutral slash creative don't dress their kids in quote, boys or girl clothes, but we actually do. We dress them in absolutely anything and everything except items with gender terms such as little princess or little man. Uh, what does it mean to, to raise someone slash creative? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as kids, I mean, this is the way humans learn. Humans don't have, uh, in a sense, a priori knowledge in, in the sense that we learn through our senses. When a baby is born, the baby is learning things as he experiences them. So the, the, the colors blue and pink to him don't objectively mean anything until he's told that these colors have been assigned a particular meaning by society uh, to mean certain things. 
Um, and so it's it's like uh, we don't let them through pink or blue. But then when they put a bow on their head, that that actually means something more than I think uh, pink does. I mean, I mean, a lot of guys wear the color salmon salmon shirts, you know, but that's not necessarily emasculating or, or whatever else. It's just kind of a color that might match other clothes, you know, a light blue shirt for Easter, whatever else. Um, so it's, it's, it's their, it's their concept, um, that, that is, that is very skewed in how a human being learns is, is, is epistemology, epistemology. So they're not going to really get the outcome that they want, so to speak. What, what is actually going to end up happening is they're going to give their kid a cell phone, put, put them on their internet, introduce them to TikTok, introduce them to social media. And that's going to be the conditioning tool to ultimately trigger this, this human being, um, to, to just go with the flow. And so if, if the, uh, the flow is that, oh, you need to be opposite of what your biology is, then that, that individual is probably going to kind of do that just simply to, to go with the flow and to be cool. Um, if he's not giving a, given a telephone, it's not giving the smartphone or whatever else, not allowed access to the internet. Um, that probably won't happen or probably happen a lot later, um, than puberty. So, <laughs> and, and, Here's what, here's what I want to kind of get at here, which is something that we talk about really every week. We talk about um, the lack of masculinity in the culture. We talk about the, the pernicious danger of public schools, Ryan. We talk about the fact that, look, schooling, Catholic school is the ideal, but it's not, the, it's not uh, attainable for a lot of people. A lot of Catholic schools are bad. Not everyone lives near a good one. Even if you have a good one, there are a lot of bad influences on it. So you have to be more vigilant as a parent than ever before, probably in human history. Um, but what I mean, look, every week we bang this drum and people watch this show to to be reaffirmed in their choices because homeschooling, Ryan, homeschooling is hard and it's a lonely business. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of choices out there. There are a lot of curricula that one can choose from. And some of them are fraudulent, I think. Um, none of them are truly classical and Catholic and traditional all at the same time. Um, so a lot of homeschooling people are tr- just doing their best, right? Really, they are. And it's going to happen. I mean, not homeschooling is really more of a necessary thing, given where we are. I was about to say necessary evil, but that's the wrong term for it because it's not an evil. It's a good. But it's... It's necessary because not everyone is cut out for it. And some people have to do it who aren't actually cut out to do it. And and you have to, you know, just persevere. And, so, and you have to, you know, trust in God to make up what might be lacking, maybe find a tutor. But you're right, especially with Catholic schools, a lot of them are worse than the public schools, to be perfectly honest. And the ones that aren't, you know, and there are very good ones in various places in the country, but they're expensive. Mm-hmm. especially as inflation goes up and especially with the the means people have you, you you may not have any way to actually send your kid to a catholic school even if all things being equal that's where you wanted them to go so classical education well if you're going to have a classical education you really need somebody who's classically trained and and of course i wasn't there uh when, when i started i'm still not perfectly classically trained in educational models but i do my very best um and we've had to fight that you know with our own son our son does not have a cell phone we're going to be getting his first phone as a flip phone because he needs to call us from work to come pick him up but um you know that's the that's kind of the limit he hasn't been exposed to that he hasn't had that you know free access to the internet to do whatever he wants um and that's hard because other people do and and we've had to 
do that. But I mean, it was probably one of the proudest moments. You know, I've made a lot of, especially my oldest son, a lot of mistakes and a lot of failures. But one of the proudest moments for me was when it just on his own, he's, he said that listening to, you know, more classical folk music, listening to Gregorian chant, listening to, uh, you know, polyphony is it, it, just intellectually better than rock music and other things, you know, because I wasn't going to beat him to death on all yeah, these things because you end up creating you know inciting actually the rebellion and pushing him further right so right. a little bit of brow beating for me but not very much just saying well all right i, I don't know why you want to listen to that and you know and, and after you know so many years of that just on his own oh you know what dad's right this stuff's intellectually better that as it, it's one of the you know i think is one of the greatest victories that i could you know hope to have had because my my general nature is no no, no we got to beat this nonsense out of them but you can't you know because you're just going to create worse and, and these are little things and, and for other people it might be different maybe it's going to work for you to do it the other way and that's fine because there's nothing worse than trying to tell someone else how to parent there's ways and there's ways and there's ways but we have to do it we have to do something and we have to work our very best to instill the catholic faith and a classical education as best as we can, because again, the only way you get a real classical education is if you have a lickham or you have a, a school, you know, some kind of the way to do that to carry on that traditional trivium of logic, rhetoric, and grammar with, um, you know, the arts. There, there's no way to do that completely and perfectly by yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. So you got to do the very best you can, because that's it's kind of a necessary situation we're in. We have that the is. trivium. We have the trivium and the quadrivium in our uh, in our homeschool. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to actually celebrate some success, and I'm gonna kick it over to you, brother Martin. But there is a rundown viewer. His name is Joey. He's in Texas, and he recently has had what's called a quinceanera. Here he is with his daughter. Who quinceanera is a, a word derived from uh, from 15 when a young lady turns 15. Uh, it's similar to the French tradition of a debutante. Um, and it's the coming of age of a young woman. This is Joey in Texas having a, a Latin mass offered in honor of the quinceanera of his daughter. Now, this is the exact opposite of what we have seen with these groomer parents. This young lady, Joey's daughter, has a much higher uh, percentage chance of persevering in the faith, like what Ryan was talking about in her life, because clearly the faith is intertwined in this family. So, a my hats off to Joey. This looks like it's modern day, just looking at the ceiling, the iconic blue uh, ceiling with the stars on it in Dallas, Texas. But b, um, we used to have in our when our culture was Catholic, which we have never had that in these United States, uh, despite what some uh, unread authors would claim. Uh, we used to have in Europe Catholic culture, mm -hmm. Brother Martin, and in Catholic culture, everything was dripping in the faith from the way that we carried ourselves to how we comported and dressed ourselves to the milestones that we celebrated and represented to the feast days that we observed to the, uh, the, the rhythm of life that, that, that we had. And the quinceanera is a, is a, a beautiful example of that. It comes from both France and Spain. It comes from Catholic Europe and it is the transformation of a young lady into a woman and it is her presentation just like our lady was presented 
uh, for marriage, and, and, and the priest in the Jewish temple chose Joseph. It is the presentation of the young woman in the church as, uh, as, as a young woman, as a young Catholic woman. Absolutely. And of course, having worked in the Hispanic ministry before, um, I saw many, many quinceañeras, uh, and I learned a lot from them too. I mean, my sister had one, but I was, I was 14 at the time. I didn't really be, I wasn't able to soak in much of, of what it actually meant. It was just something we did because we were Mexican and, you know, the 15 year old woman just, just gets a quinceañera. Um, but very much, I mean, you, you offer the mass of Our Lady. Um, usually it's on a Saturday and you, you offer Our Lady on Saturday, uh, for this quinceañera and it becomes very much, um, relate, relating the young woman growing, growing, um, in hope that she models the, the virtues of our lady. And it's, it's a specific day specifically for her. She'll go off and have her own dance. And once, well, once it's a, it, it resembles a wedding, but it's specifically for the, for the, for the young woman. I mean, there's a mass and then that beautiful dress, as you can see, um, a lot of dioceses uh, require that every uh, quinceanera go through a, a particular retreat before having, having her quinceanera for formation and, and prayer. Um, and, and then she goes and has her dance with all of her friends. There's usually some sort of line dance, some prepared dance to some salsa music or whatever uh, popular music is is among the youth at that time. That's 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 chased and all that kind of stuff. So you know, like a line dance or whatever. Um, but it is it, it's very it's very meaningful and and, and beautiful mm-hmm. that um, the Catholic faith has imbued imbued the culture so much uh, that that people's lives are, are dictated by it. I mean, I, th- I think of Europe when, when there's whole holidays, you know, secular holidays based on the Roman calendar that people get off days based on the Roman calendar. And here in the United States, our crypto Catholic society, um, every holy day of obligation, we have to make sure we ask our, our employers to give us a day off, you know, much, much like, uh, who was a guy who worked for Ebenezer Scrooge had to ask for Christmas off, you know? So, uh, um, we're, I don't think we're, we're, we're very much, uh, closer there yet, but it is, it, it is a, a, uh, a tradition that a lot of Hispanics can revive, and and I don't see why it has to be exclusively to to to, to Hispanic Catholics. It could very much be something that's shared for, as, as you said, that it's relevant to France and, and everywhere else. Why why others can't adopt it as well? James, is there anything like this? Uh, you you, you uh, amongst all of us have uh, as well a, a very Catholic patrimony and a rich heritage. Is there anything like this on the African continent, or 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 uh, any coming of age either for men or for women that you've seen? You know, that's a very good question. Uh, not, none that I, I have experienced. You know, I did live uh, on the continent of Africa for 16 years, and there was nothing per se uh, in our culture that we, uh, that we understood to, to be a coming of age. What I, what I can tell you is in various, uh, in various tribes, obviously, uh, you know, each tribe is, is different. There are over 250 tribes. But, you know, from the tribe that my family is from, there are certainly uh, on the man's side uh, vi- various uh, ceremonies that tie you into particular uh, groups, per se, as as you're coming of age. You you might uh, take on various t- title ships, you know, and these come with various ceremonies as you're moving into uh, the society of men, for instance. But uh, because this is re- relatively a, a new, uh, uh, or rather, religion in its sense of uh, Christianity is uh, is, a, is a newer uh, endeavor. Uh, you know, people are starting to realize that there are some animistic roots uh, to some of these uh, ceremonies, and you know, rightfully they're pulling away from it to better uh, understand how 
you know, we can welcome and push other uh, people into the, you know, sort of framework of what is expected of you as society uh, in, in African culture. So, um, you know, I, from my understanding, from what I've seen, at least or heard from my uh, my parents and family members, uh, we don't have anything directly related to the Cassiniera or to the uh, uh, debutante system in uh, in France. Uh, but but certainly, you know, we we have all we just have, you know, uh, ceremonies and parties all the time where you're expected to behave and act a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> you're just supposed to. You're just supposed to conform. There's not like right. a big that's ceremony. Exactly right. It's just like that, hey, that, that's exactly right. There's rule and order. If you're not conforming, then <laughs> what are you gay? <laughs> that's 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 true. That's true. Oh man. All right. Um, let's do this. Let's finish our groomer segment, and then I have a couple of kind of funny things to show you. Um, okay. Abortion is a satanic sacrament. I thought long and hard about whether I was going to show you this video. It's a little gruesome. There are no obscenities. It's difficult to look at, but you need to know if you don't know. And I think many of you do know who our ultimate enemy is in the pro-life fight, but these people are now flagrantly out and about. They are proud of who they are. They, uh, they are shameless in their Satanism, and they put it online. Here it is. In Florida, uh, the new Rome, uh, there's, a, there's a can't say gay law. This is how one teacher is getting around it. As a queer teacher, the passing of the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida has been extremely distressing for me, um, not only for myself um, as a young professional, but also for my students, uh, many of whom are queer or LGBT, um, identify as LGBT. And a couple of small steps that I have taken that I think other people might appreciate as well is um, I... I have made sure that my subtle voice is heard. So um, as you can see, I have a shirt on that says, this is how I use my teacher voice. It's from Miss Frazzled. Uh, if you don't follow her, she's great. But um, I use this to show kids subtly, hey, I'm here for you. Like I, I'm all about supporting you. I also have a pride flag in my classroom and I know that's not safe for everybody um, to have right now, but you could also put like a small sticker up. Um, you could also just like subtly um, have rainbows on your desk, all of that stuff. So just subtly letting kids know, hey, I'm queer too, or hey, I'm an owl. So these are instructions, Ryan, that a, a, a queer teacher is giving to other teachers on how to subvert the culture, uh, and how to pervert the children, and how to uh, covertly uh, operate uh, the, the gay agenda without the parents' knowledge. Which we've seen that the the whole education system is littered with people like this. That uh, we we've saw so many videos leading up to the passing of the so-called "Don't Say Gay" bill, and and so many other things in Florida. Which of course was not what that bill was about. Um, but still, 
the uh, it, it's about not talking to kids about sex because kids are kids. But, you know, especially if you're not their parent. But anyway, these people feel entitled. They feel that they have the moral authority to replace you and replace, you know, the child, the child's parents, mother and father. And they are going to be the ones to, you know, tell the talk about these issues with them. Uh, there's an arrogance that they have been that's been bred into them to begin with. And in, in a hidden bias as well. So these are not like some neutral party that just trying to help people. You have this term affirming. And they always say that. They always gender affirming, whatever. What that is, is the patient telling the physician what the problem is. And the physician is expected to affirm it. And that's actually coming to other areas in, in psychology, in, in other medicine too, where basically the patient is going to dictate the treatment. Affirming care is, is the latest thing. So watch for that, especially if you're a physician. Uh, but anyway, back to them. Yeah, she's giving the way around it because they think they have the moral authority to do this. They think they are right. And on the other side, they're evil. And we have to crush them in favor of um, gender affirming, whatever. And so when in reality, it's exactly the opposite. They are the evil ones and they can't see it. Uh, there, there's only a small degree of difference from that first horrific video you showed of this 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 crazy Satanist with um, uh, Baphomet tattooed on a rack to you know to watching these this horrible video to the this one this woman you know trying to subvert the law on this subject because they want to do the same thing. They in in the eschatological vision of everything, they want to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, I think we need a quick pick me up, ladies and gentlemen. I think we need to see something that's kind of funny <laughs> so that we can transition into the final part of the show. Okay. I'm going to show you two videos. One of them has a lot of F-bombs because this guy is very New York. He's very New York. Okay. So I'll show that one second. So I'll give you a, a second to prepare for that. But, uh, if you are about to be arrested in a hotel room, maybe, maybe just open the window. You just keep putting your don't, don't tense up, man. Don't tense up, man. Where are you going? Look, I'm about to jump. I'm about to jump. Don't tase me. Don't. <laughs> Don't tase me. Okay. In his defense, I seriously would have thought that if I threw my body at a hotel window, that I would go right through. That's what the movies tell you. Yeah, that's what the movies tell that's you. That's what the movies tell you. You're not supposed to go through windows. Okay. All right. I've. Okay, one final thing you can teach your children. Don't throw rocks at cars. Like, you would think you wouldn't have to teach them this, but this may happen to you. Again, language warning. Guys, don't throw rocks at cars. Missed. Tossed a rock and fucking missed. motherfucker's gonna cause an accident right here. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. 
Holy fuck. All right. Yeah, he got ran over. Yeah. If you throw rocks at cars, there's a good chance that the car is going to run you over. You know, it's kind of like making fun of a guy that's much bigger than you. Like, you got to consider the fact that there might be repercussions to your actions. Right? Um. Anyway. All right. Fine. One more video. Typical day in New York. This is just, hey, speaking of New York City. Language warning. Oh, by the way, this is happening because uh, apparently there's an upcharge on sauce. So it's an extra dollar twenty-five for the sauce. And um, well, this young lady didn't want to pay. It goes on. A couple observations here, Ryan. First of all, um, there is something to be said for mob mentality. I think that mob rule is a real thing. Uh, once one or two people cross the the line, let's say, of what is acceptable behavior, which we definitely saw in that video, then it almost gives consent to others to do the same thing. And and the the demonic spirit that tends to guide and and manipulate mobs. Uh, continues doing its thing. We've, we saw it at the crucifixion of our Lord, uh, and we've seen it in mob rule ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, mobs have energy. There, there is a psychological thing that when the mob gets whipped up, there is an energy that um, it's difficult to explain, but it's it sociologically been, been observed many, many times. It, and you can then be caused to do things that you ordinarily would not do. We saw a little bit of that during the summer of love, L-U-V, love, um, where uh, they're the mostly peaceful protests oftentimes would erupt because agent provocateurs probably, or even if not, just, just people who were, uh, you know, doing for whatever reason, destroying their own neighborhoods would start. And then the energy would move the mob from, which is already angry for something into an even more fervent activity. And that happens all the time. Mob mentality is a, a serious thing. It also plays into battlefield mechanics, too, when you're looking at uh, when a route begins, in, in especially in an ancient or a medieval battle, the route begins as soon as you know enough people around you die or, or start running. You, you run, too. You just run. It, it becomes instinctual at that point. And so, um, but yeah, start destroying something, and then other people pick up on it. It's, uh, you know, I guess it depends on where you're at in the um what's going on who's there but that that is a real thing that happens yeah it 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 certainly is and this is why i think brother martin we have to one of one of the errors that has found its way into the traditional movement in my opinion is a political philosophy known as libertarianism and libertarians are very much 
for the more or less mob rule so much as, so, so so long as uh you know allegedly the the rights of the individual are not uh, infringed but the fact of the matter is is that majority rule mob rule it's hard to distinguish between those two things you can see it even in our political discourse even in these united states you know when obama ran no one knew what he stood for he was a tabula rasa he was a blank slate upon which we could project whatever our hopes and dreams were but the mob elected him same holds true in 2016 when trump came into the white house the massive massive crowds of people that he was able to gather and mobilize and weaponize and as ryan said there was an energy to that and i'm not so sure that that energy is of god oh it's true but i have to say something about the most recent i guess leftist mob rule is that i think they they finally developed i mean after this is post-trump they finally found the one weapon that that the right isn't able to to trump in the sense that we don't we don't i don't think we've found the weapon to counteract their their most latest weapon um and we saw it in this latest video and that's the fat girl twerking like who wants to see this? Like in every mob rule, every 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 group of people that that there was another video a few weeks ago of this these old man this old man in his car and a, a mob of people just surrounded his car and started dancing on his car all this kind of stuff. You always find people twerking. Like where did this come from? Um, but it's just it just shows the degeneracy of of the mob. It's all about just getting what they want. A dollar twenty five for sauce, and all of a sudden you start throwing people and disrupting society over over a dollar twenty five for for sauce. I mean, sauce in and of itself is 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 a convenience. I mean, your food's going to be edible. Your your body's going to be you know, receive the nutrients that it needs um, w- without the sauce. But a dollar twenty five sauce, and that's and that's what you get. It, pe- pe- this entitlement culture, but the energy that goes into also the the model for the for the right is also. I mean, democracy in, in and of itself. That's that's the ultimate danger that even Aristotle in politics and Plato in Republic said is the danger of democracy is mob rule. So we're always an inch, inch away from precisely that being ruled by the mob, being ruled by people's passions, the passion of the majority, uh, rather, rather than by the virtue of the few. And as we know, the virtue, unfortunately, is of the few. And so yeah. it, it, it necessarily, um, well, it, it, it's just logical that, that, that a monarchy, or at least uh, an aristocracy, is closer uh, to providing us with, with, with a society that is, that is ordered towards virtue, rather than a, a democracy where everybody has to agree based on social contract because the libertarian regarding the rights of the individual is always about what the individual thinks its own rights are not necessarily regarding the natural law because mm-hmm. even john locke and all those who founded uh, liberalism and libertarianism they didn't they didn't believe what we believe regarding metaphysics they didn't believe aristotelian metaphysics they didn't they were, they were uh, nominalists in which case you're not going to get something from this libertarian and liberal liberal um philosophy this political philosophy that can then lead as a stepping stone to uh, a monarchy or, or an integral integralist society you're just you're just not you're, you're gonna meet a dead end you're gonna think it's a stepping stone but ultimately after that you're gonna meet a dead end i was engaging with a uh, a pretty well-known libertarian on twitter today james uh, who runs a, a magazine or a couple magazines and claims to have some kind of training in economics, although it's, it's, that's specious in my opinion. And he was literally defending the idea that Americans need access to debt today. They need access to mortgages, to credit cards. They need to get payday loans. They have to have access to these things or else they'll be poor. 
He was defending the status quo of the usurious economy that we live in. That's modern libertarianism for you, James. I don't know what to do with that. How do you get from there? What is the path forward from there to, as as Brother Martin said, an integralist, uh, the restoration of Christendom? How do you get out of this debt trap if you are defending the status quo? Well, I mean, of course, people have the, the right to choose to do evil on themselves. You know, there's that there's that there's that right in, in that in that sense of understanding what what it what it means. Right. So God is not ever going to force you to do what is what is good. He's going to tell you uh, what is good and what is evil, what to be avoided. And then you're the one who decides whether or not you reject or whether you accept it. So in this case, uh, you know, propping up the uh, the system of the world as though it were a necessary savior uh, to those who are poor and those who are downtrodden is not is not something that should be uh, advocated as a, a good thing. Uh, this is not uh, you know the way that our Lord would wish us to live. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, blessed are the, are the poor in spirit. Though, yeah, but also, you know, the people who are poor are meant to look to those things uh, that are beyond their poverty. You know, the mm-hmm. faith is not beyond. Sorry, the, the faith. The faith is beyond poverty. You know, that's what that's the highest good was supposed to strive for. You know, the church says the salvation of souls is the highest good. And we have to strive for that. We don't have to get into debt to achieve that. We don't have to live, a, you know, a life that is full of slavery to achieve that. The way out is not slavery, you know, and that seems to me yeah. like what this person is proposing. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Okay, we got to do the unpops, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for your unpopular opinions, Ryan. You can give your unpop, and then afterwards you can pull up the poll so that you can remind everyone how you won last week. And it was great. It was a mag- magnificent victory, but what's your, Oh, here it is. You got the poll. Here it is. All right. I already had it queued up, but um, <laughs> yes, uh, I I'm actually rather surprised. I was able to beat out uh, Mike in the shorts take, because uh, that does seem to be very unpopular with a lot of people, but it is. Um, the t-shirts one was even more so. So um Anyway, you know, it was the first time two years ago when I had 600 followers, I had just taken over the Twitter account for RTF and I said something about shorts. It was the it was the first time I ever went viral and I didn't really know how to cope with it because it was it was really exhausting. And I felt like I I didn't know how Twitter worked. I thought you had to respond to people. I didn't realize you could just (laughs) not. Uh, And I remember staying up till like two in the morning one night arguing with various people who were like, no, you have to have shorts because shorts are so important. There was this one war, it's called the Rhodesian War, where the trousers were getting stuck in the thorn bushes, and so they had to cut them, and they wore shorts, and they were really based. Uh, are you know, in the Rhodesian War? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Because I said you shouldn't wear shorts as a guy. Like you just shouldn't do it, right? The and exceptions. Like, well, what about exception. if you're in Rhodesia? You what know, about the exceptions? Like, that makes it all okay. What is this? What is this? That's the first thing. That was my introduction to how Twitter worked, actually, because I had literally, I had just gotten the account uh, turned back over to me. I had never really spent any time on Twitter. Like I said, I had 600 followers, and I became infamous over shorts. So I'm, I'm glad to pass the torch, Ryan. 
Glad to pass the force you. T-shirts are now more unpopular than shorts. There we go. Or rather, my 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 opinion that T-shirts are underwear and you shouldn't wear them. Or <laughs> yes. so, so I have uh, uh, brought my A game this week. But first, a uh, public service message. So the unpopular opinion is not the opinion that you agree with. The unpopular opinion is supposed to be the one that makes the, that makes you so angry. Okay. Uh, you're about as angry as a purple-haired gender studies grad who <laughs> is looking into an all-white gym. Okay, that's about how angry you are. Um, so, it's or an all-male gym. I'm sorry, all-male. Incensed. Gym. Incensed. And if it doesn't happen, if it happens to be, well, hey, I, I agree with all their opinions. Then whichever one you just think that again, our aforementioned, uh, you know, gender-haired or Purple hair gender studies grad that, that may or may not weigh less than a metric ton. What she would think about any of these opinions and in order which one she would think or if or they would think is the worst one. That That's how it's supposed to run. So uh, anyway, with that out of the way. So my unpopular opinion, because I'm bringing my A game. Mel Gibson history movies are terrible. <laughs> they do a disservice to the study of history and they leave popular notions in people's head because most people do not bother to study history. They don't get into the nitty gritty or even just in very good secondary books. They watch movies. They watch things like Braveheart, which is the, the, the Battle of Sterling Bridge doesn't even have a bloody bridge in it in the movie. <laughs> Battle of Sterling bridge without a bridge. Oh no! Uh, and then and you have Apocalypto, and Apocalypto, of course, is supposed to be about the Mayans in the ninth century. But you have, at the end of the movie, the Spanish showing up in the ninth century. Did they go through a time warp? Uh, <laughs> Mel Gibson just doesn't care about actually showing real history. He wants to get a lot of throw this in there because we can, and let's put this in here because we can. And it's going to be fun. And um, hey, and would it be great to have full frontal nudity in this one scene? And it's going to be awesome. And wait, wait, wait. He's supposed to be a great Catholic and he's putting this in the movie. And it, um, and hopefully he is. I know he's got a, you know, tortured lifestyle, life of, of different problems and, and whatever. And I don't want to rag on those. But his movies, his history movies are not good. Uh, the Patriot is one of the worst I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. It's a, it's full of, it, absolutely nonsense history at every level, uh, even down to the slaves. Where, where, what were the slaves doing? They were escaping to join the British regulars because the British had promised them that they'd put him in a bring him to Nova Scotia or bring him over to, to Africa or whatever. So, the, I mean, wherever British man of war showed up on the American coast, the you know, they were they were loaded up with slaves fleeing their plantations to try to get to freedom. So uh, they weren't really joining the colonial army where they were going to be returned at the end of it, right? So that, among other things, they have show a British officer burning a church. That didn't happen. The British weren't savages, okay? Even if you, you, you're like, yeah, 1776, that's perfectly fine. And, and you think, yeah, the, you know, the British, we beat them. At, hey, have at it. I'm not going to argue the, the loyalist cause right now. But that, the British did not do that. And that's what people think they did because they watched Mel Gibson's worthless movie, the Patriot. And so Mel Gibson. Everything I know about William Wallace, though, I learned from Braveheart. 
And it's this is true. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. They even make a joke of it. William Wallace really was seven feet tall. He really was. And he had a mold and many brothers. It, it wasn't like it, it, in the movie. And of course, no, he did not have an affair with the Princess of Wales because uh, she was actually two when he was uh, hanged, drawn, and quartered at the end of the movie. So, no, and, uh, none of that happened. It's, it's Bob Kiss. So, Mel Gibson history movies suck. All right. I, I have a feeling that you're you're trying to... You're going for a winning streak, but I think that Brother Martin is going to stop you. Well, he's going for the hat trick. But anyways, unpopular um, opinion, This this these last two days have been pretty contentious on Twitter, particularly between... Me, Mike, and Sidiva Contest. And so I kind of just wanted to read one of my threads and present it as my unpopular opinion because I think it will be rather unpopular, especially for our uh, for our audience. Now, we brought up two particular subjects this this these past two days um, regarding Sidiva Contest. And one of them particularly was exclusive to this to the Sanborn group, the Bishop Sanborn. And then the, the second thing was is particularly to all of them. And the Sanborn group is particularly about the the PN reforms of Pius, Pius XII and the 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 55 reforms of the Holy Week and the institution of St. Joseph the Worker on May 1st to combat uh, communism. Um, and more or less, I was arguing that if, if they believe that, that Pius XII was Pope, then they should accept these reforms and they shouldn't do the pre-55 Holy Week or uh, any such things. But then they, they say like, later on, circumstances revealed that his reforms were, were bad because they were a stepping stone towards the Novus Ordo. And I was like, well, he willingly knew that you know, he, 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 he put bishops into place that would, that would later on be um, at the Senate Vatican Council and, and be the modernist. Not only that, but he, he, he promoted Aníbal Libonini, who was the architect of the Nordos Ordo. So when Aníbal Libonini was creating the, the 55 Holy Week, the reform of the 55 Holy Week, he had in mind the Novus Ordo and everything he was going to do later. And it all went underneath Pius XII's nose. It was all, he signed off on every little thing, every little stepping stone that the modernists needed um, to create the Novus Ordo and, and the revolution of the church, Pope Pius XII signed off on. So I said that if, if Sedeva Contis are honest, they'll scrutinize Pius XII just as much as they would the Vatican II popes, especially because John XXIII reversed a lot of the changes that, that John XXIII made. A lot of the changes that John XXIII, especially regarding uh, the bravery and everything else. I mean, a lot of the liturgy that the laity just doesn't experience. And so a lot of the what the church is, the lady even the ones that that are, that are, I mean, they're laymen. They talk about liturgy, all that kind of stuff. They they very much forget the breviary and that the liturgy is much more than just the mass. Um, but John the Twenty Third reversed a lot of those things, and so in in a certain from a certain perspective, John the Twenty Third was a good guy, and Pius the Twelfth was was a bad guy. Um, so taking that, and also Mike came in with 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 usury and in his knowledge of usury because his background is in finance and and talking about the morality of usury, the definition of usury in the in the history of the church. Um, how that's been understood by the, by, by the by the papacy and everything else. Um, I made this little tr this little thread on Twitter, um, uh, precisely about this because in the early church, I mean, Mike Presensus on Twitter about that the church fathers said charging interest on on any money is is 100% bad. Charging interest on on anything. Later on in the scholastic period, we we see the, the definitions of extrinsic titles, which you can charge some money on the things. And so we know from our logic courses that everyone's taking logic and has read Socratic logic by Peter, Peter Kreeft, everything else to go from all to some is called contrary. It's contrary. Um, all to none is a contradiction. All to some is, is contrary. Um, so we know that also the Pope, in order to, to he has infallibility also in liturgical discipline 
and also in canonical discipline. Um, so in, in the event that a, a pope in 1515, Pope Leo X, um, makes it an excommunicatable offense to teach what the church fathers does is a huge red flag. We, we need to explain this. We need to look at this. Uh, so I made this little thread. The conversation about usury takes a scenario in church history similar to that of the 20th century, which contains one, development of doctrine, and two, change in discipline. To expose uh, them to the same scrutiny, sedes apply to Vatican II popes. If the development of doctrine is contrary to what the church has taught before, all usury is bad, to some usury is bad, and if the change of discipline is harmful, as an example, removing the centuries-old canonical penalty of excommunication for mortal sin, then cities ought to declare Pope Leo X as an anti-pope, who was never a valid pope, and declare the 18th Ecumenical Council, which was the Fifth Lateran Council, invalid. They could claim the next pope was valid due to the election of cardinals, and even use this event to prove their thesis. They would have to reject a pope in an ecumenical council, but they should have no problem doing that. Um, but instead, they think selectively applying their principles for discerning whether a pope is valid to Vatican II popes exclusively makes their case stronger. Now, my unpopular opinion is precisely this. In particular, especially regarding the liturgy, Sanborn Sedes are not it. Father Disposito, Father Palma, and, and Father Damien, his last name is French, I can't pronounce it. Um, they're always on Twitter talking about how uh, R&R, resist and uh, recognize and resist, you know, SSPX, all that kind of stuff are all schismatics, schismatics, schismatics. They always call them people schismatics. They're always intentionally causing these divisions in order to prove their thesis true. Um, it's not helpful. It, I don't believe it comes from God. Um, and because of the divisions they call the one time they get called out on, all of a sudden they, they, they cry victim. They cry victim and they and they and they tweet platitudes. This is my faith that this church can never defect, and so I don't care if it seems contradictory. This is my faith. That doesn't help anybody. I mean, these are, these are legitimate questions um, that they need to answer, and especially if if they're going to say that or they're going to present themselves as an alternative to the institutional church, they need to have good answers for. And and they don't. They haven't. They haven't presented them. They don't. They they they'll tweet links of articles which never address the the, the exact question that we're asking, and so. It, it always falls back on them to, to answer live, so to speak. And, and, and they haven't been able to present uh, reasonable arguments. All they say is it was different that what the church father said was different than what uh, they said in the scholastic period and what Leo X said, but they didn't, they don't explain why. Um, and then they don't explain why Leo X make, made it an excommunicatable offense to teach what the church fathers taught. That's that, that, that would be considered to them a harmful, a harmful, uh, canonical discipline in which case that would declare leo the 10th an anti-pope and they're not willing to do that because that that would mean that they have to reject the 18th ecumenical council which makes them now two less councils less than us and and most probably than heretics which is also why they don't want to um say that pope Pius XII was an anti-pope because he defined solemnly defined the dogma of the assumption which means that they would then have to say that that's not solemnly defined and so a, a lot is at stake for these two questions um of the, of the liturgy the the uh, 55 reforms and the rejection of the reforms and then usury because uh, two ecumenical councils are actually at stake and, and according to their applying their principles to pre-Vatican II popes, um, they either have to be honest and, and, and do it equally across the board or or, or, or admit that their their principles are, are false. So if you were to put your unpopular opinion on Twitter <laughs> and, and um, 10 characters or less, exactly would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> the Sanborn Sedes are not it. <laughs>
<laughs> okay. All right. Ouch. All right. Uh, James the Lesser. Now, listen, we, we've been doing this a while, James. We've been, we, I mean, there's, ha, we've been doing this a while. We know what time we're going to do it. We know how long the show lasts. We know when we're going to do it. Yeah. James, do you have an unpopular opinion this week? I, I, I have one. It might be insufferable because it, it might be one that um, a lot of people generally agree with. But I, I hope that I can perhaps present it in a light that will maybe bring about a lot of uh, rethinking of where we are. So um, let's let's see how this works out. This is not clearly thought out yet. This is just something that I'm thawing out um, uh, here on the show live. So, of course, we, we all consider modern canonizations to be somewhat doubtful. And uh, we can we can uh, present figures like Paul the Sixth or um, Oscar Romero or John the Twenty Third. You know, right? Those would be doubtful canonizations, right? But then you have uh, figures like the Three Children of Fatima, uh, and then you have uh, Padre Pio, right? And so I I think you know when the Church uh, in its new or the Vatican rather in its new approach to to, to uh, beatifications and canonizations, when they bring about uh, this duality, right? You have the figures on the right and the figures on the left. You know, they're actually giving us red meat, those in traditional movement, so that we buy into uh, their canonizations, right? So now we're forced into thinking, well, you know, we have to agree here because they made the right decision here but they made the right, the wrong decision here. You know, in that sense, you know, either canonizations are infallible uh, or, at, or, or they're, they're not right. And the way we sort of approach this subject is we know from 1983 that, you know, things changed, definitions changed. And so we, we stand um, correctly perhaps in saying since 1983, things have been different and we can no longer, uh, basically agree to the standards, to the low standards set by the Vatican in considering what heroic virtue is, right? But but rather than stay saying that, we take our red meat and we sort of walk away to one corner and sit there and go, well, this one is correct and that one is wrong. Uh, and so what, what my approach to, to this is, well, how about we just have private uh you know recognitions of these people you know i of course look forward to to one day when queen catherine of uh england will be recognized as a saint Mm uh and uh you know several other figures through through time especially you know um you know during the uh the, the english revolt you know there's still a lot of people who haven't been called to uh uh you know, to, to, uh, to, to who haven't been canonized. And so I, I think, uh, modern canonizations are, are, are doubtful. Uh, and if we should, if we think, if we think that, then it should be across, across the board, um, on that, not just for our people, but for, I mean, not just for, uh, the modern people, but for our people, our people, uh, and however we want to phrase that, I, I, I don't know how we're going to phrase that and put it on 
<laughs> put it on the uh, uh, on the uh, 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 Twitter sphere. I don't know. Um, I don't have a thought. I want to draw people's attention to the letter that Catherine of Aragon wrote to her husband. Beautiful. Henry VIII. Beautiful letter. And I want to read it as well uh, for the folks who are listening to the podcast and not watching on YouTube. It says, quote, My most dear Lord, King, and husband, the hour of my death now drawing on, the tender love I owe you forceth me, my case being such to commend myself to you and to put you in remembrance with a few words of the health and safeguard of your soul, which you ought to prefer before all worldly matters and before the care and pampering of your body for the which you have cast me into many calamities and yourself into many troubles. Mm. For my part, I pardon you everything and I wish to devoutly pray God that he will pardon you also. For the rest, I commend unto you our daughter, Mary, beseeching you to be a good father unto her as I have heretofore desired. I entreat you also on behalf of my maids to give them marriage portions, which is not much, they being but three. For all my other servants, I solicit the wages due to them and a year more, lest they be unprovided for. Lastly, I make this vow that mine eyes desire you above all things. Catherine, the queen. Isn't that beautiful? You know, but yet, but yet we're, we're searching for uh, words like this from, Various people who we we are forced to consider as saints today, Oscar Romero or uh, Paul the Sixth or John the Twenty Third, you know they even John I'll even put in there John John Paul the Second, you know we're told of his heroic virtue, but you know Quran kissing is not heroic virtue. Mm-hmm. When you stand in the public stage and kiss the Quran, that is not that's not a show or an act of uh, heroic virtue. It's the opposite. It's a sin against prudence, you know, uh, temperance, justice, you know, to, to God, for instance, uh, and to man, you know, where we're looking at this and we're thinking, oh, this must be a good act, you know. So we 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 are basically putting him up on a pedestal now uh, to, to be seen as somebody to emulate. And so when we agree to something like, like that in the modern canonizations, uh, we are basically you know, between a rock and a hard place, you know, do we accept our guy in there or, or do we just say, you know what? Hey, we're not accepting any of this at all because it is, it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, since 1983, things have just, you know, uh, not made any sense at all. So, um, you know, I don't know. Hey, Ryan, I'll take suggestions how you want to put this on. <laughs> this is this is your longest and most detailed i think i know i i struggled with actually excited just just for that reason alone and now, now of course <laughs> the challenge begins is uh making that more succinct oh but, man uh, all well, right I I, i'm gonna give you a wordy one then too i'm gonna give you a wordy one since everyone's doing it <laughs> it's it's like usury it's like well everyone's doing it so you can do it a little bit exactly <laughs> right that's what i was told on twitter yesterday that everyone's doing it all right my unpopular opinion, uh, I'm not sure what the bumper sticker version of it is, but actually I need to confess something to you, my dear Rundown viewers and listeners. A lot of what I say on the Rundown is a derivative of discussions with Mrs. RTF. She's a bit of a philosopher in her own right, and she's pretty smart. 
actually, she's pretty dang insightful. <laughs> One of the things that she has railed against for years, and I finally helped her put it into context and develop the idea with her, was that she's really she's really against sports. And this is perplexing uniquely to me because she was varsity level in multiple sports when she uh, was in her schooling, and she's extremely athletic and in good shape. But what we have figured out is, now let's back up a second. One of the biggest problems that we moderns have is we isolate a part of a thing from the actual thing, uh, from from the greater thing itself. So look at modern art. In modern art, you have a color that is just thrown on a canvas. You say, oh, that's so beautiful. Um, Isn't that so stunning? But the color is actually an abstraction from its natural existing flower, let's say. This, This color pink that you see strewn on a canvas comes from a certain flower, and that flower exists in nature. And what you're doing is you're taking a part of the whole and idealizing that part to the exclusion of the rest of it. The same thing happens, unfortunately, in sexual morality, where you know the, porn, the pornified culture that we have is obsessed about particular body parts. You say, oh, I love this body part on this person. You don't care about the other person. You don't care about the human person. You don't care about all of sexuality in general, but you just look at one particular uh, you know, piece of glob of, of fat cells, let's say, and you say, that is um, a thing. When it comes to athletics, when it comes to sports, when it comes to weightlifting, I've always had a problem with uh, with uh, you know gym selfies and muscle selfies and this thing, especially beach muscles. This is the same thing, right? You go to the gym and you pay money so that you can have the right to do bicep curls. A bicep curl is not going to save your wife when your house is on fire and you have to fireman carry her down three flights of stairs to get out. Bicep curl is not going to save you or or help you if you're in a firefight for your life and you have to shoot accurately and have endurance uh, and move from position to position, seeking cover and concealment as you as you suppress the enemy, move with and uh, move upon and and close with and destroy the enemy. So uh, when we think about life skills, survival skills, athleticism is a part of that right? You have to be generally in good shape to run a farm, to do manual labor, to build a fence, you know, to, to dig a, a trench hole, right? You have to be able to have certain level, but to isolate only the uh, aesthetically pleasing muscle groups, let's say, and go to the gym and pay money to do that is a perversion of the actual thing. So what am I talking about now? I'm talking about sports in general. I think that athleticism in general is good. I think that team sports are good. I think that you can learn teamwork, sacrifice, uh, individual effort, uh, humility. You can learn a lot of things on a team sport. But in these United States, and we talked about this with the, 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 the evil spirits that rule the mobs, we have a much higher level of energy for our team sports in the United States, especially football, than we do for the holy sacrifice of the mass. There's a problem there, right? So, uh, and this was also a problem in the Roman Empire, where sport in the Colosseum had a privileged place in the society. And as you look back at the relics, 
of the Roman Empire, let's say, the artifacts of the Roman Empire, you know, the untrained eye would say that these people worshipped uh, the various sports that uh, occurred in a Colosseum, including the killing of Christians. Our sports now that we worship are things like MMA, which is the professional slow motion killing of men. So where am I going with this? What we cannot do, I think, with sports and athleticism is abstract a very specific nature from the thing and glorify that one thing. We cannot say that, oh, this person can hit a tennis ball extremely well, so that person should be famous and rich. We cannot say that this person can hit a fastball uh, three times out of 10, and that's incredible. And so this person should be famous and rich, and we should care about their political opinions. And when it comes to sports with children, a lot of Americans have this, uh, this, this fixation on the family making incredible sacrifices for the children to play club sports, to travel around, to spend inordinate amounts of money, and most appallingly, to do so on Sundays. I've seen it even in the traditional community. Even in the traditional Latin mass community, you have families who are carting their kids around, traveling to play sports, club sports that they're paying for, private outside of the normal, like, you know, normal kids get to play, but this is exclusive, elite, whatever. You're training your nine-year-old to play some sport so that hopefully your nine-year-old can excel in this sport. And you're doing so at the expense of uh, your, your third commandment obligations and I think that 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 is also a perversion. So look, am I against physical fitness? No, I was in the Marine Corps. I think physical fitness is important. As we enter this final phase of uh, of history, I think physical fitness is paramount. I think men need to be be dangerous and be able to defend their families, and be able to employ weapons, and demonstrate not only not only raw physical strength but also uh, aerobic ath- uh, athleticism, you know, endurance, strength and endurance, flexibility, right? The three pillars of athleticism. I think we all need to have those things. But if we do them merely for the development of strength, endurance, and athleticism, if we do them, if we say, I'm going to go on a 10-mile jog, right? Instead of, I'm going to go plow a 10-acre field, then it's like, you're almost separating merely the fruit of the thing from the actual reason why you would want to have the thing. And what we have now are a bunch of sissy boys in this country who live in apartments in New York City, who go to the gym and and show off their beach muscles, but the beach muscles are useless because there's no physical labor involved in the day-to-day life of that person who works an office job living in a cubicle doing spreadsheets for a living, but is it in good shape because he goes to the gym, right? So I think that there's a disconnect here. What we need to be focused on is what I think is, is uh, you could be called functional fitness. And functional fitness is doing the actual things that we need to do, like farm life, agrarian life, uh, or at least construction, or at least the trades, in which we add value to ourselves, our communities, our houses, we're building things. St. Joseph never went to a gym, and yet he was ripped. And why was St. Joseph ripped? He wasn't ripped because he did beach selfies and beach workouts and sent selfies on Twitter of his biceps. He was ripped because the man cut down trees and built structures by hand. 
with very uh, primitive tools, and he and he and he excelled, and he and he was a masculine man. He wasn't some punk who lived in an apartment in a big city who went to Equinox Gym with the towels that were flavored by uh, you know some some uh, rare herb uh, that could help you. So my point is is that it's not a masculine and it's not a manly behavior. I think to go to a gym, pay money, expose yourself to immodest women and work out in a way so that you can feel good about your body and show off your useless muscle forms. When in reality, we're not actually using those muscle forms or our bodies the way God intended us to use our bodies. And that is my, I don't know how you're going to, I don't know what you do with that, Ryan. You should just say miss RTF is a better half. This is what I got so far. I got working in a gym to get a beach body is not going to save you. Men need to do real work. How's that sound? Do real work. I love that. Let me men need to do real work. And you know what? I fought my wife on this too. She's like, you know, why don't you just climb a ladder and paint houses and that kind of thing? Like, why do you why do you go on jogs? Why do you stay in shape? And I look, I'm not saying you shouldn't stay in shape. I think people should stay in shape. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But for the sake of itself, it's a self-licking ice cream cone. Anyway. We need to get to the grifting segment. It's time to do that. There we go. So you guys set me up very perfectly, James, uh, with the discussion about Catherine of Aragon, because um, I have this book. Now, you might be wondering, okay, what does Franciscans in the uh, English Reformation have to do with Catherine of Aragon? Well, um, I will tell you, because it's it's rather extraordinary. This book has a whole chapter on Catherine of Aragon. It's a very lengthy chapter. In fact, it's more information than any, any book I sell. There we go. Because apparently she was a Franciscan tertiary, so they cover her in the book. Uh, it's it's a very good account of her life, um, and and uh, you know hope of course that that she would be canonized. the uh, The author of that section believes that uh, that she was poisoned, which most mainstream historians do not accept. But I think there's actually some decent evidence she might have been, but not by Henry, because Henry had a fear of poisoning. I think because at that point he wasn't concerned about it. I think rather it would have been Anne Boleyn that, uh, you know, we know poisoning was employed at one point before, uh, one point with uh, John Fisher after he had made such a strong uh, defense of Henry's marriage to Catherine. They decided that he had to be gotten rid of by hook or by crook. And the Boleyns chose by cook and uh, had the, it paid the cook to poison John Fisher's household, and he had a servant die, many get sick. He was fasting, so he was spared. He didn't actually have any of the poison food. So with um, Henrietta Fear of Poisoning, it's not likely that he would have poisoned uh, Catherine, but Anne. Now, certainly she did, because when uh, Catherine died, she was rather triumphant over her rival. Um, and certainly she would have, you know, if that's in fact what happened. 
So anyway, so I do have a, a Mediatrix Press website, www.mediatrixpress.com. You can find Franciscans in the Reformation. And this goes all the way through to the Titus Oates plot in the, the 17th century. So from the beginning, um, I did just recently give a, a talk uh, with uh, um, Connor. Oh, good grief. I forgot his last name. But uh, he runs a, a thing called Plot Lines. I do find that and subscribe. He has interesting guests on. Um, and, I, and I was on for to blab for a couple hours about uh, St. John, St. Thomas F uh, More and St. John Fisher. So, uh, you know, there's a lot more info in there. <clears throat> then um, Sermons of the Curie of Ours. I don't think I've ever grifted mm. this book. It's a wonderful book. It's from a 1901 translation, I believe. Um, so the uh, it, it's very nicely done. It follows the traditional liturgical calendar. Uh, of the church. So, yeah, I mean, obviously from 1901, you're not going to get anything that we don't particularly want to see, right? Uh, and it's just, just pure, wonderful sermons of the Curie of ours shaking up the church and uh, trying to work souls to heaven. There's a, and if you go to the, the book on Amazon, it's hilarious. There is a Novosurta priest that left a very nasty review of the book saying that, oh, I think all, the, all these people in his cold stone church you know, well, he's preaching fire and brimstone, and somebody re responded to his comment saying, "Better to be miserable in his in his in his stone cold church than to um, and get to heaven than laugh all their way to hell at your jokes in your church." So, <laughs> I uh, thank for, thank you to whoever put that in there. Um, so the last thing I have, uh, Mike made unsolicited by me a very wonderful plea last week, which I thank him for. Uh, for people to uh, donate. As you know, I'm moving. I've been incurring a lot of expenses trying to get uh, a house up and, and get everything organized. Dealing with the financial system is something I was going to try to take a year to prepare for. And uh, well, circumstances uh, bit me in the rear end. So I had to do it very quickly. Uh, a lot of people already have been extremely generous. Um, and so I'm just going to give some first names. I'm not going to dox anyone. Joyce, Karen, Laura, Robert, uh, there are some some folks close by um, that donated, and so and so these are people both that go to the SSPX and go to the fraternity that have uh, you know donated to me. Uh, we I had a visit from Alaska uh, of uh, uh, make sure I don't get the last name in there. Chris from Alaska, who was an avid rundown watcher, he came to visit, and uh, we, we had very good conversation. He was here, so I was, I was very glad to see that. It was it, uh, very very moving to have somebody from so far away that that uh, appreciates the show so much. So I do appreciate that. And then I got uh, this one today. I just got to make sure I don't have. Uh... So anyway, so I got this one today, which I got in light of Mike and brothers uh, um, <clears throat> after hours uh, activity on Twitter. I thought uh, I would read this uh, parts of this one. So this will also this uh, family donated very generously. And again, it really means a lot that uh, you donate to uh, even though, you know, I have a lot of expenses and this is, you know, this is all helping, but it's not covering at the same time. I know that on your end, uh, you're parting with hard earned blood and, and treasure in, in order to, to make a donation to me. And that is absolutely appreciated. Um, you know, I just need to put that out there first. So uh, as, you, as you know, what brother was talking about, the, the great debates with uh, set of Acantus uh, on uh, Twitter and which I've stayed out of, because as far as I'm concerned, I said my last word on that years ago, my last word. Um, 
but anyway, we had a good joke about how we're all being paid by the Vatican, right, to to, to <laughs> keep opposition. As it turns out, uh, not only am I not being paid by the Vatican, but I'm actually being paid by a set of vacantists. So anyway, <laughs> this wonderful uh, family that donated, uh, Kelly, and I'm working real hard not to accidentally dox anyone, uh, that that uh, is a wonderful little note of appreciation for uh, for everything that our press does and she stops and adds in the final paragraph i am the type of traditional catholic that you don't like but that's okay because i like you i attend cmri may god bless you etc uh kelly so i just just want to be a, a thank you and b i don't dislike you because you go to cmri i merely disagree with you and so um otherwise uh as far as I'm concerned, there's peace and prayers, and I'm absolutely thankful for that. So anything anyone wants to donate, uh, again, it's, you know, I, I do, I kind of move by what Mike did last week. And I just got to ask, if if you have the means and you have the desire and you're going to, uh, it would be a huge help to us in meeting costs that I have to come up with that um, I would expect to save in like six or eight months. I'm probably gonna have to get come up with in three. So if um, <clears throat> you know if you're if you're willing, I've made uh, steps of my own to save a lot of money. So don't think that you're gonna you know hand me you know money and then I'm gonna walk off to the cigar lounge and spend it all. <laughs> and so I, I have long stores of pipe tobacco that I've prepared over the years, and um, I've actually I don't know if anyone saw it. I've actually given up alcohol in order to save money. Partly to save money, partly as I'm also doing a liver detox. But um, anyway, so so I'm taking the steps on my end. I thank you for anything you want to donate on your end. Um, it, it is a hugely welcome. And also, again, um, you know, purchasing books, you know, is another you know, great way to, to help us. And then, you know, you're getting something, you know, for it. And so I do appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. And uh, folks can send donations to 607 East 6th Avenue, Post Falls, Idaho, 83854. Uh, Brother Martin, it's time for you to grift. I don't, I don't get the <laughs> oh, I got you. It's my muse. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, a disclaimer, I'm not a completely against uh, state of a conscious, so to speak. I mean, we're in a state of crisis. Uh, if the if a state of a conscious, if a standboard state of a conscious mass is the only traditional Latin mass uh, you have to go to, it's accessible in your area, go. I mean, Canon 844, even in the 1983 code, perfectly uh, gives, gives you permission to go under certain circumstances. One is, is spiritual advantage. I was saying more than the possibility of attending a, a Novus Ordo priest, which, of course, I mean, the Novus Ordo priest the unpredictability of whether or not they're going to give you the true doctrine or uh, celebrate the mass reverently. That's, that's moral impossibility. And then spiritual advantage, obviously the TLM is far superior than the Novus Ordo. So if a state of a conscious mass from Sanborn is, is the only mass you have to go to in your area, just go. Um, so I, I'm not, I wasn't picking a fight just to pick a fight, all this kind of stuff. These were concerns. And of course, of course, as arguments go, people get defensive, whatever. Um, but as, as far as grifting goes, um, obviously everybody here knows that, uh, Oblis and Augustine and RTF have been under pressure for the past uh, half year, six months, seven months, eight, eight, eight months, uh, because of a particular organization um, regarding money and finances, all that kind of stuff because of their slander. And so we've been, we've been very hesitant to launch a, a legitimate fundraiser, another another raffle. Last In, in 2021, we had a, a, a raffle, a 10-week raffle, $10 for, uh, for 10 weeks, kind of 
thing to, to help us, uh, our community move forward. But this, this year, I mean, um, it's just been our, our prudential decision just to just kind of wait a little bit just to see if, if things subside a little bit before we, uh, um, get published in more articles and more articles and more articles simply because uh, you know, we're just, we're just keeping the traditional faith. Um, so I know in, in inflation is high times are hard. Um, but if it's on your heart, um, uh, to preserve the traditional Latin faith and help, help, help those who are, who are giving their lives to pre- preserve the traditional Latin faith, um, to go to www.opusofsanagustin.com slash giving and, and, and to help us out. Um, because we're, this is really our only, what you're hearing right now is our only form of asking from asking for, for the sustenance we need to, to preserve our life. This is it. This is all we do. Um, we just live our life, uh, pray for souls, pray for you guys, form ourselves to then be able to teach the truth. And this is literally the only time that we have and the only opportunity we have uh, to ask people to help, to help us help you and to help us to, to, to continue to provide for the graces the world needs um, to, to, to become saints. So if it's on your heart, uh, visit our website and yeah. Thank you. Hello, good viewers. Um, today I have for you a book. We are on a theme here. Apparently today we, are on a uh, Tudor theme here. This mm-hmm. is, again, this week, second week in a row, I'm bringing you uh, Eamon Duffy. This is a very good book by a prolific author, very scholarly author, who doesn't write uh, books uh, that are boring. Uh, th- this book in particular, um, sorry, it's called Fires of Faith, uh, Catholic England Under Mary Tudor. Fires of Faith, Catholic England Under Mary Tudor. And this book uh, basically gives you a life story of uh, Mary uh, coming to her throne as Queen of England, trying to restore what her uh, um, uh, what her brother uh, Edward VI had done in his time after his father Henry VIII. So basically, um, Mary Tudor has five years to restore uh, England. Unfortunately, untimely death due to uh, a real pandemic, influenza pandemic at that time. Uh, an interesting note, uh, she had a uh, cardinal, Cardinal Reginald Pohl, who was working with her to help restore England back to the church. Uh, they call her wrongfully Bloody Mary, but her her reign was in response to all the, uh, the, the, the killings and the martyrdoms that had happened prior to her getting to the throne. And uh, knowing full well what the Protestants were, were able to do, she took proactive measures to uh, bring England back to the faith. Uh, it was a good short run, but it ended too, too quickly. And then, of course, we know what happened with uh, Queen Elizabeth, who ascended the throne afterwards. But if you ever wanted to know about the life of uh, Mary Tudor and um, her reign in England. This is a great book. Eamon Duffy, this is uh, something everyone should have. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching The Rundown. I cede my time tonight. I'm grifting nothing, and I defer any potential grifts to Ryan Grant, Mediatrics Press, 607 East 6th Avenue, Post Falls, Idaho, 838. For it is our pleasure to bring the show to you. If you would do one thing for me, like, subscribe, and share. We've got to grow the channel so that we can keep doing this every week. Good night. God bless you.
do? Oh, we need a revolution. Yeah, and we need it no, now. Not, not 